Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation podcast, episode number 12. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes coming out every Wednesday, so subscribe to keep in the loop there as I jump into more extended talks uh, with a variety of guests. This podcast is available in video form as well on YouTube. You can find it there just by searching the Eddie Conversation podcast if you want to watch along versus just listen. And without further ado, let's just jump into it. Episode number 12 featuring Lily V. Pham. Great. So yeah. I'll officially jump in. Thanks okay. for thanks for joining me yeah, on the podcast and hosting as far as the, the venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are Lily V. Pham. Yes. Great. And I would describe you, I think of you as a, as a producer mm-hmm. in film in the film industry, but I know you do a lot of other stuff. So yes. do you want to line, line, line that out from the get-go? Yeah, uh, I guess people know me to have crazy odd jobs, I guess, because okay. I did a bunch of things. But in terms of the film industry, I actually started off as a makeup artist for a very mm. small shoot. And it was just a way to pay for college. And eventually, I think I met a DP. And then from there, I wanted to be an AC. So I started ACing and cam mopping for about eight, nine years now. And then, or just about eight years. And then two years ago, I recently made the transition to produce. Um, I produce mainly narratives in a couple of small ads, but uh, I also production coordinate and production manage for like stage shows and all that too. Woo. I know <laughs> this isn't crazy. <laughs> okay, so I mean that's a lot to let's just explore all of that mm-hmm. for starters, and then we'll kind of gauge into. I'm really interested in asking about producer outlook and yeah. and, and dreams and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But I guess uh, how long ago did that start happen? What were you going to college for? Let's start with that. I went to college for accounting, uh, okay. or originally it was like a painting major, and then I switched to accounting, and then I took up photography, wedding photography, to pay for mm. college, and from there I met a producer and got into YouTube and helping that out and just eventually start, uh, you can say, meeting new people, and mm-hmm. they brought me into kind of deeper into the world of film and from there I started seeing more of narrative commercials and all that and you know I also kind of the reason why I jumped into producing is because I met a couple of ADs where I started second AD for Mm -hmm. commercials Mm -hmm. and a I feel like second AD because I got to work closely with the production team I started wanting to do more production you know as a coordinator manager or producer And I think the reason why I wanted to do that was, you know, being in crew, I've done like the higher end production, Mm -hmm. but I also done the lower end production. And there are many times where as a crew member, I just felt Mm. overexhausted. I felt like production wasn't really working with us. So for me, I believe with my experience in crew size, I can produce or manage a production that can be happy. A happy medium between crew and creative and all that yeah so that's why i decided yeah because i have never worked with you on set before mm-hmm. so i i've only i've heard good things oh i'm good i'm <laughs> glad <laughs> i've heard yeah the, the the main thing that i've heard is that you definitely have yeah it makes sense like you you 
you take care of your crew because mm -hmm. you know what it feels like to be the crew. Yeah. And that's very cool. Thank you. So let's, I guess for, I don't know, I never know, you never know who's going to be listening. So let's, mm -hmm. let's start from the beginning in terms of uh, what, let's, what does a second AD do? Perfect. Actually, it's quite interesting. I was on set the other day and I had someone who wasn't mm. sure what a second AD did. So I was explaining to her was that a second AD is, um, if you say it out loud, um, the full title is second assistant director. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's the same thing. They assist the first direct, uh, the first AD, which is the first assistant director. And the first AD managed the set, you know, mm -hmm. from making sure we're on schedule, making sure we're on time, making sure the director gets creatively what he needs, but at the same time, making sure the logistics with crew is um, working out and all that. Mm -hmm. So the second AD does, I would say like the paperwork style, they, you know, wrangle the talent, they wrangle background, they do call sheets, um, so when you say wrangle, wrangle, <laughs> yeah, basically, if the first AD needs someone, like needs a talent mm -hmm. to go on set after doing makeup and all that, uh, the second AD would be the one who pretty much go get them, making sure they're all ready for the scene, brings them to set, and all that. And they do the call sheet, which is basically the schedule, call times mm -hmm. when people need to be there. They contact the cast, who needs to be there, what time, what do they need to bring and all that. Yeah. And they also do something that actually a lot of you don't know is production reports. And mm -hmm. production reports are basically, it's, it's exactly what it's, the title means. It's, it's basically the daily report of what happened during that day. So they write that, you know, what time did people leave? What time did people, or rap, I guess. Yeah. Um, what time did we have lunch? Did anyone went overtime, did anyone went into meal penalty, basically, you know, crew has to eat lunch at their sixth hour after they start working. So um, we just need a record of that, any injuries, they keep a record of that. And that's mm -hmm. something for production people like me, producer, I can look back and see, you know, any incident report, any things that have to deal with insurance or damages with vendors, I can see that report that day that, oh, okay, this happened that day. I saw what happened, mm -hmm. I saw who reported it, in case I have any questions, I can contact that person. And the AD gathers all that information for me. Um, but that also um, is in the narrative sense too, yes. in some commercial, because I've done stage where, mm. you know, where it's a little different, where um, the production manager does the production report, okay. you know, and um, my script supervisor actually does the scheduling. It, it's it's really? it's a weird yeah it's it's different with stage show because mm -hmm. my script supervisor they do kind of like the time timeline and cold of like what's happening on stage but they also do the scheduling and then from there my production team sends out the call sheets and all that and my associate director it's not really assistant director my associate director works directly at the video truck or video vi video village, I guess you can say, mm -hmm. with the director and making sure they give out the commands for the stage manager and the stage manager basically manages the stage. So it's a little different <laughs> with stage. I know yeah. it, it's like, it's, it's, it's really strange sometimes. Um, so when you say stage, uh, and just to clarify, I'm, I've only been, I haven't been on many stages mm -hmm. before. I do primarily the narrative side, but I, I, 
And then I primarily script supervise. Mm -hmm. So I did have an opportunity once to be a third script supervisor yeah, on a they... stage before, which was really weird. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a that was a game show. So yeah. that's, uh, that's what I that's. But stage can be a variety of different. It could be a variety of different things. It's like studio stage, like game shows, competition shows are mm -hmm. really known for that. Um, what was it? Um, sitcom tends to okay, yeah. work with this format really? a lot of times. Um, yeah, typically sitcom and stage shows, like competition shows, mm -hmm. game shows, anything you see like that. Or like, uh, what, what can I say? Like the Late Late shows, similar to that. Yeah, like yeah. talk shows will mm -hmm. have this similar format. And actually, typically uh, music specials under a network like CBS or something. So my, my music special that I coordinated before does the same format as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... Okay. Yeah. That's so a lot of information for, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming, like, being involved in film, it's easier. I can actually understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. but I can imagine somebody who's not in film being like, whoa, it's a lot of stuff being filmed. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, I, could, I could definitely see, it makes sense when you describe what a second AD does, that mm -hmm. it's an easy transition into, like, the producer side, mm -hmm. because I guess the way that I, I mean, you can describe it in, like, many different ways, but, like, one way that I've heard it described too is like the first AD is worrying about today, second AD is worrying about tomorrow. Yes. So, and that's of course what the producers are thinking mm -hmm. similarly too. It's like yeah. planning ahead and getting everything in order. Yeah, I yeah. work really, when I'm like a producer on like, let's say short films or anything like that, where it's a smaller crew mm -hmm. or even like a bigger narrative, if I'm a coordinator, um, I work directly close with or closely direct with my second AD because I need to give her like what time do we have each location when do we mm. have the location you know of course she has a schedule from her first AD but then I let her know house parking you know like do we have trailers do we have all these yeah. things that she needs to communicate to Cass um, and then your information is uh, so are, in that scenario, is your information funneled through the second AD mm -hmm. back to the first AD on occasion too? When yeah. Because they're having their meetups and yeah. then the second AD now has more info from producer and like, mm -hmm. actually, we got to tweak this even more or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So then it's like every day on set, um, usually I think around lunchtime as we do it, uh, the second AD has a preliminary schedule, basically what's mm -hmm. going to happen tomorrow. And... Typically, they get it approved by the first AD, making sure, like, you know, when the first AD built the schedule, they make sure that we got everything for this, uh, for the call sheet for the next day. But they also send it to the producers and the coordinators. So mm -hmm. we have to take a look at it to make sure everything makes sense because, you know, the AD team, they're dealing with schedules and figuring out when to need cast and all that. But as coordinators and mm -hmm. producers, at least, we're figuring out the logistics, like, when do we have access to the location? Or we have contacts to the location. We have contacts to vendors. Mm -hmm. We have contacts to a lot of these things on set. And we're actually setting up a lot of things like base camp, parking, and all that. Yeah. So we have that information that the AD team needs in order to let the crew know or let the cast know and all that. So yeah, we work really close hand in hand, uh, at least with my second AD. I work no, for really sure. close. For sure. So, so I guess getting back to, we are currently nearing the end of 2020. Yes. 
It's been an interesting year, but all right. So when, how long have you been pursuing the craft of film? And is this, is this the, what's the, when did you, yeah. When were you exploring wedding photography and makeup? How long ago was that? The timeline is so interesting. I would say 2009 to 2010, okay. I was exploring weddings. And a lot of times my job simultaneously happened at the same time. Sure. Uh, so when, let me, let me backtrack. So I was doing makeup already to support myself through right, college right, and right. high school. So about 2008, and to 2010, mm -hmm. I was doing makeup. And then around 2010, I was also learning how to do photography, uh, wedding photography, and then eventually wedding videography mm -hmm. through one of my best friends who taught me. So that was happening from 2010 to 2000, I would say 13 about. Okay. And, but, you, and you were around, around the LA area that Yeah, whole LA, time? Orange okay. County. And then around 2012, while I'm doing weddings, I was learning film at the same time. Yeah. Because uh, 2012, I think one of the wedding vendors who did video while we did, like while my team mm -hmm. did photo, mm -hmm. he was a producer for YouTubers. So I started learning and going on to these sets as makeup artists or learning how to do camera because there are a lot of run and gun stuff, like maybe three people yeah. doing like a video. So that happened around 2012. And from there, from 2012 all the way to 2018, I would be, I would believe. So I, I guess six years, I was doing a lot of ACing and all that yeah. um, and camera hopping. I was saying people just didn't see me as an AC okay. and the reason why I just fell in love with camera because at the same time mm -hmm. I had a couple of people that I reached out to help me learn and I was just new to the industry and all that and I got really a negative experience because you know I thought I was given a chance to do something that I didn't think I would be able to do because I, you know, before film, I was never really a technical person. Yeah, and you were getting chances to AC is what you're to, saying? To AC, okay. and, but the problem is there was a couple of people that I reached out, they were really negative about it. They were like, you wouldn't be able to do this. You don't seem like mm. the type of person. And they will tell a bunch of people, it's like, oh, this girl just doesn't look like, or she's not going to be able to do camera. Mm. So that fueled me a lot to learn and I was like a really introverted person which a lot mm. of my friends will never guess that so when when I found out about people thinking negative about me I it fueled me to do more like I feel like oh wait what you have a lot of uh fancy oh yeah my, roommate, my roommates are they're all camera people yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that um but what was it? So yeah, I See, just became more extroverted in the sense I was like reaching out to DP. I was like, I want to learn. You know, I don't care how long it is. Because you wanted to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then that, and then from there, I actually fell in love with camera because it taught me a lot that I, I was capable of learning a lot of technical and mm -hmm. I was able to, like pick up a lot of things and I started going from like just doing low budget short films to doing commercials to doing stuff for Google and all that and every time I get a, an, a 
second AC, which is second assistant camera, who's like basically my um, assistant in the camera department who does a lot of the logistics for me. I started being able to, you know, give advice and teach younger ACs. Mm -hmm. And so I really fell in love with camera and it let me be a part of the creative side without being like a director or a DP. Without the pressure. Yeah, without the pressure. And I really love being like the right-hand man to some of the DPs that I've grown really, really close with. So that's why I fell in love with camera department. And I will always go back to it because it does hold a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. There's something that's really fun that brings me joy every time I do camera department. and there's also like a different type of pressure and stress from camera department that I do appreciate that I don't get when I do uh, mm-hmm. production. You know, so, there are two different yeah, types well, of stress. What, types, what type of pressure do you get on the camera side? Uh, you know, it's more, especially with that first AC where I pull focus. So you see everything mm-hmm. I do on monitor. So anytime like something goes down like a wireless you know Mm. something that's a little bit out of our control because of frequencies in there you know all those technical things um there's that kind of stress and it's just like very like when we're on a shoot where time's crunching Mm -hmm. you have to move along you have to make sure your workflow is really efficient and you know moving from one set to another with all the heavy equipment can get really tiring as well but what I appreciate from camera that's different from production is I, I start my day on set and when I finish the day, so when I wrap, that's it. Like I, I literally can just rest until the next day. Yeah. Rather than production, I have to think about everything before we get on set, mm-hmm. even after we finish, we are, mm-hmm. I'm like having to think about the next day. You know, I'm there early, first one in, last one out for production, rather than with camera, it's a different stress. Or there's a little bit more ease for me because I don't have to think about all the things. I don't have to think about other departments yeah, and all just, that. It's just showing up and getting the job done. Yeah, and I can only concentrate on my department mm-hmm. when I'm in camera. I was like, oh, whatever happening in camera department, that's all I have to worry about. Rather, when I was like a production coordinator or a producer, I have to worry about every single mm-hmm. department, making sure every department gets what they need. And yeah. Communicating with every single department too. So I'm sure, like it sounds like to me, that it's probably like a nice mix up, a change of pace kind mm-hmm. of thing for you. It's like, all right. Yeah. Different worries, different stresses, different, and different tasks. Yeah. And you're, and you're more of the, uh, you're more in it to see how it's going. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do, because I, I have to witness camera. I mean, as script supervisor, mm-hmm. I witness camera a lot from, because I'm at Village and, I'm always feeling bad for the, for when, like you said, when the fall of focus kind of breaks and then everybody's yeah. got to put the camera down and everybody just... Like tweak, yeah. <laughs> or, or or when village goes down and they're just like, yeah, just the, they're just moving wires around. Oh, we got a signal. Yeah. All right, see, shoot. Especially with um, wireless, you know, yeah. we're, we're converting to wireless now and seamless where, seamless builds where we don't need cables. Mm-hmm. too many cables running around so it can get depending on where you are it can get really tricky sometimes you can get some wireless issues and all that which isn't like bad like it's not impossible to solve it just takes some time mm-hmm. 
but with production, sometimes they don't give you that time. So there's that build on stress where they're yeah, like, why yeah, isn't yeah. up? Why isn't up? I was like, well, because it's hard. You know, we're we're in like a really busy area. My wireless is just trying to pick up a signal between two devices. You've got to give it time. Like, let me just you know finagle with the build a little bit but you got to give me that 30 seconds and sometimes people mm -hmm. don't like to give you 30 seconds so there's that pending pressure yeah. on you um i mean it's tough because it's a it's an out of sight out of mind thing mm -hmm. where you don't we can't see what you're doing yeah so it's, it's hard to give you that yeah it's hard <laughs> to give you that time yeah and you know what's nice the difference i at least i feel in my personal experience is when i get to do camera again mm -hmm. there's this creativity that i don't really get from production because mm -hmm. i deal with more logistics in production even though as a first ac i'm a technical person i'm like the tech for camera department yeah. there's still some creative uh, opportunities there you know especially when i work close with a dp that i've known for years yeah, yeah, yeah. he there's this collaborative thing that dp has with, like my DP have with me is like getting my opinions like oh what do you think of this lens you know what what mm -hmm. should we use and you know creatively framing they can ask for what I think as well and all that and I can give little suggestions to the DP I'm really close with so there's those little creative opportunities yeah, you get yeah. in the camera department rather than um, at least for me, my recent jobs has been production managing and coordinating. It's literally all logistics for me. It's like, okay, here's the accounting, here's invoicing, here's crew, here's their paperwork, here's like everything I need to gather to make this functional. Yeah. You know, so I don't really get that creativity <laughs> opportunity as much as I do when I'm in camera. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know if other people, I don't know if that's across the board that everybody with that position mm -hmm. approaches it the same way you do. Yeah. I don't know how did you how did you learn all that all the the higher end stuff I guess was it just by like production management and producer how did was there some sort of mentor that you had that showed you the ways or did you create your own flow and you um, just decide not to give creative input like I don't know um I mean with coordinating and managing more so yeah. you don't really get the opportunity because you're you know managing production and you're coordinating the no, production sure. so you do more logistics um as producers i do get a little bit of creative mm -hmm. opportunity as well but you know at the end of the day we're trying to make sure the production runs smoothly right so um you don't get that much opportunity at least for me when i work as a coordinator production manager or a producer that more run set rather than the creative producer is I don't get to be in your monitor as much because I'm making sure you know everything on set is running with the permits with right, like right. the the location and I have to be prepared for the next day too no, so I don't sure. get that opportunity to I, be next to monitor as much as I do as an no, AC. No right right no I guess I guess I imagine more of like a, a pre-production kind of thing because mm -hmm. you as a producer and I also, all right, I'll stick with my first thought. As a producer, you get to interact with the director and mm -hmm. kind of talk story and stuff before you even get into designing the shoot. Yeah. So I guess that would be the place to come in with any sort of creative thoughts yeah. if, if you feel necessary to, definitely. to speak up. Yeah, huh? definitely. It, I think if, if someone wants to go into production, at least from my experience, sorry, my, there's always like people calling, but um, going back to that, um, 
from my experience, if you want to get into production team, but wants to get more into the creative side, that's more producers. So there's like associate producers, there's, you know, creative producers as well. And when you go into at least my experience with stage show, there's like challenge producers that come up with the challenges for like game show. Oh, okay. There's segment producers that come up with like little things that they can do during a segment or during a scene. It's like, oh, we should have them do this with a cowboy hat or we should have them do this with flowers or something like that. So you have these creative producers on set and you get to work closely with the director, mm -hmm. with the studio, with the ideas, with the story as well. And then there's the logistics producers where it's like the line producers, the production managers yeah, and yeah. all that. And they're mainly logistics. They just want a smooth, a smooth show. Yeah. yeah, smooth show. So then like I get like if a segment producer is like, I need a mechanical bolt. Okay, well, they tell art department and art department let me know so I can send the paperwork to the vendor that we're renting the mechanical bowl and then like we're getting that sorted out. So I work closely with the creative producer to make sure they get what they need. But mm -hmm. I don't really necessarily think about it. Yeah, so I guess that's a, a good opportunity to witness others making creative decisions mm -hmm. and then... I don't want to say judging them, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, learning from mm -hmm. great ideas or or kind of like how did they come to that, and mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be interesting. It is very interesting, and it's also sometimes stressful because you know we create with creative ideas. Sometimes they come just to you randomly, mm -hmm. and for at least the stress that I deal with being like production side you know coordinator manager or anything like that is when they're like I have an idea this would be great for the segment but I have to scramble to make sure we get it the next day so I'm like oh my god yeah, we have to yeah. research we have to find all this so we're scrambling to get all the things prepared tomorrow so there's that weird mm -hmm. <laughs> stress that you get because you know sometimes ideas come last minute and logistically last minute things aren't is. the easiest that is very do. interesting for sure. Because I, I always think about on the director side, like I, I have an issue when I'm directing. I, I'm a big fan of pre-production. Yes, pre-production so I'm, I'm sure we've been on too many shows where, like the smaller stuff, let's say when we're starting out or, or whatever, where there's no budget for anybody to meet up prior to like day one of mm -hmm. shoot and everybody's scrambling to just even understand what's going on. Yeah. And then the director is trying to be, a, trying to like have that flexibility of like, I have an idea now. And it's like, none of us prep for that. We don't know. Yeah. That's not something art has. That's not anything, mm -hmm. the eh, whatever. So it's very. I think it's one of my experience. So I did a short film where I had a director as well. He's mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to play out these scenes. And I was hired as a producer. Not really so much creative um, because I was the only producer. And I'm trying to like, I'm basically mm -hmm. doing the logistics mm -hmm. for the short film. And my interesting experience with the creative side for my job, at least for this short film, was he was trying to figure things out. And I'm definitely the one person was like, well, we don't have a lot of budget for this. And mm -hmm. so we can't really do last minute things. So I would read the script over and over again. And every revision of the script, I would read over and over again. And the thing is why you have a production team, at least, is one of those... When you're trying to creatively play out the scene as a director or anything like that, 
I would come in going like, hey, do you need this? Well, in this scene, they need to eat a certain thing. Is there a particular thing that we need to get? And you have to move from one thing to like one place, like one area of a bar to another area. Like, do we need people in there? Do we need yeah. extras? Like, I have to know this ahead of time. Like, do we need certain alcohol? Is there certain brands that we're not, you know, um, sponsored by that I need to make sure the art department knows to get rid of? So I'm there while they're while my director is coming up with the creative shots and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we get that one day to look at the location scout or look at the location but I don't have my art department there because we can't afford it it's just yeah, me and the director yeah, yeah. you know for me as a producer and even my experience as a production manager will go and he'll think of shots I was like okay well do we need to get rid of that flag is it a copyright thing what do you think about that noise how big is the space hey that area is still functional is that okay for sound like I have to ask all these mm -hmm. questions for the director in order for me to be prepared for the yeah. day up. So we don't have any unexpected surprises. So um, that's usually my bit is sometimes you kind of have to think the like when someone comes up with something creative, you have to be the person who thinks logistically don't yeah. you're, the, you're the mood killer yeah the mood, I'm, I'm definitely the mood killer because then like art was like i want to do this and this and sometimes i'm like well here this is how much we budgeted mm -hmm. and this is what we said so if you need that additional item that's gonna cost me a certain amount of money let's think about the scene like do we really need it mm -hmm. i can try to pull that money from somewhere else to pay for it but we need to really think this out before we decide to just do it yeah, you know because yeah. i had to constantly remind my director i don't have that much budget so unless you're okay with the overage and you got to figure out where to pull that from and i can try to save money from different areas to pay for it be prepared that there's going to be an overage that you may have to pay out of pocket because you're funding this film right you know and my my thing too is i don't like saying no so much like mm -hmm. i i'm not the no we can't do that no we can't do right, that right i like to assess the situation your solutions person yeah solution person where i like to assess the situation i like to assess what the you know the director just comes at me about yeah, it's yeah. like we need this suddenly i was like well let's think about this how much does that cost okay that cost this is it essential to the scene okay it is well, we are given this much budget in this department and this department. So I can definitely do this for you. But either we're going to go over and we have to figure out where the money is coming from, or we need to cut out a scene that's not necessary in order to make mm -hmm. time and money for the scene. So it's giving them options, but also giving them fair warnings like, we can do that at this cost. Right. So then at least for their, for, at least then my director or my creative producer can make a creative choice with the options they give so they don't feel like they're sacrificing a lot mm -hmm. you know i want to yeah. be as transparent and let every department head knows what is happening because i definitely want to make a really good shoot i want to make sure we get the best that we can and i want to make sure the vision that my director has we're fulfilling it but we got to be smart about it. We can't just say yes to everything, but we can't also say no and shoot ourselves in the foot before we even started right, kind right. of thing. You yeah. know? No, it's all it's all great. You're preaching to the choir over yeah. here. <laughs> I had like directors like, oh, we don't have enough budget. I'm going to cut this thing. I was like, wait, wait, wait. We didn't even talk to the DP yet. We didn't even talk about yeah. like how this is going to 
And you're already shooting yourself on the like shooting yourself in the foot yeah, by saying like we're getting rid of this before we even assess the situation. Directors. Okay, I guess we can talk about directors a little bit. But I'm curious because directors like to try to help make things easier for everybody else mm -hmm. too. It's like a place where they're coming from. It's like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cut it now because I know it's gonna save us time on this one day, and then really. Because that's not really their job, so they're actually missing a huge point. Where yeah. it's not, you're not really saving us much time. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff, so. My, my, my last short film I did with a director, in my DP too, I remember coming to them, they're like, oh, should we cut this because to save time? And I remember telling them, I was like, okay, stop what you're doing and let me know what you need. Because you hired me for this reason. I will help you think of the logistics, you know? Um, I can't think for you. I can't read your mind. I just need you to communicate with me what to mm -hmm. do because then I can help you solve the, I can help come up with a solution that makes you happy creatively, but logistically it works out for us, you know? So I have to stop directors sometimes. Like, I know you're trying to help, but the best thing you can do to help me is communicate with me and be cooperative. When we say mm -hmm. we are short, on budget and we may have to think of another solution I want you to be open-minded about that mm -hmm. and see what we can do together um, you know I can't it's 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 not like I can't but it definitely makes production more difficult when I have creative people say no I definitely need this without hearing me out like creatively and logistically and budget-wise can we even do that because you know it's gonna be a nightmare once we wrap it's gonna be a nightmare for us to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I also want my director to know. It's like I need you to be able to not feel restricted in your creative of choices, but just know like I feel like nothing's impossible, but everything has a cost or a consequence to it. So if we do certain things, just be aware that this might happen. Or we might have to end up giving up something else. Right, and right. what I like to tell my director is like, I'm not telling you to choose one or the other. I want you to figure out in your creative storyline what is more important. And then we'll prioritize that, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will get them to think about their script more, think about their storyline, and really, mm -hmm. really understand what they need. That's No, that's great guidance right mm -hmm. there. What is more important to the story? Yeah. That, no, because that's something that I've I've noticed uh, directors kind of lose track of. It's hard to it's hard to pre-edit your short while you're making it. Like you're not really sure if you get. It's hard to tell if you're getting what you need mm -hmm. when you're watching the screen. So you kind of just like have to trust the process. Yeah. Trust everything around you and trust the people, and then it'll come together in the edit. Mm -hmm. Ideally. But uh, the, you said a thing where it's the, I need this, I, like, I need this for the story is mm -hmm. the thing that directors like to say a lot. Yeah. And I notice, like, you mentioned communication, too. So, and that's where pre-production comes in, of course, is ideally you have a chance to speak with a director ahead of time mm -hmm. and understand what they actually do need, because I feel like directors throw around need the word need a lot more than they need to yeah <laughs> so. and it, it it takes a lot of practice at least for me it's like understanding storyline and me being from crew mm -hmm. kind of helped me understand like what we actually need logistically to create a creative shot or anything like that that i 
tend to talk it out with a director sometimes. It's like, I need this. I was like, why do you need this? Like, are we, like, is it important to the scene? Like, is it, does it motivate the next scene? Like, and, then, and they say it's the whole movie. Yeah, it's the whole movie. <laughs> and then sometimes I was like, well, here, I need you to let me know, like, why is it important? It's like, I can do that for you, but just understand we're gonna, mm -hmm. we're not gonna have time. Or we're gonna have to build an extra day, and we need to find funding for that. You know, yeah, like yeah. I, I know directors. Some directors like it's like I really need this, and if you're just gonna tell me I need this for the movie, then I'm not gonna just say okay, fine. But I was like, we can do that. But I'm just letting you know, be right, prepared. Right. You're not gonna have time for this. You're not gonna have time for that because of the restriction that our set has. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes like. I literally just had a talk with one of my favorite line producers about this. Is at least with our job in production, we're the bad guy. Like we have to sure. play bad guys sometimes. You know, sometimes you go in just expecting some people not to like you and not to be your friend. But you know, because we're gonna be that person's like, well, we don't have money, or or well, we don't have time in the schedule. Yeah. So we either need to push it or something like, we're not saying no, but we're giving you the harsh reality of yeah. this is the restriction we have and I'm constantly going to have to remind you this is the restriction we have. Because I, I don't necessarily think that has to be the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, ideally, the filmmakers involved understand the process yeah. and get where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And of course, like you talked about how you... you you appreciate transparency in the communications. You're not just going to say, say no, mm -hmm. like a parent, like, no, because I said so. Like, the whole, the lame, the lame excuses. Yeah. So I, the way that you approach it, I could imagine, ideally, it's an understood thing on both sides. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, well, I just, I came to say my thing because this is what we're trying to do. Thanks for clarifying that we can't yeah. do that. Like, it's a, that's not really how communication goes. Yeah, you, like, you wish, but I know, here, I understand some some people who, you know, like to blame us for things, production, because I get it. Once you get into the creative juice, like, it's hard to get out mm. of it. Like, mm -hmm. you're like, you see this vision, and everyone's like, I want to do this, you know. I need to do this. I need all of these things to make my job work, you know. And no one wants to get blamed for their department for not being able mm. to do what they need to do. Um, so I get that. But I guess for me, my perspective that I like try to explain to my crew is like yeah. I understand that you feel pressure. Every department feels pressure that they need to accomplish what they need, and you know, and when they're not able to get what they need, you know, it it always comes back to production because we handle the logistics. Yeah. But I always remind people it's like, oh, please understand, I'm trying to help you, but I'm also trying to help like ten other different departments right now, and right, I want right. to make sure. I get a happy medium for everyone, right? Because for me, it's like I can make camera department really happy, but if I pull so much money for camera department and not leave anything mm -hmm. for my art department, we're gonna shoot in an empty room, and it's not gonna look coherent. Because I believe every department is important that we can collab and make a great, you know, yeah, a it's, great it's... product out of it. But understand, like every department's important because we can have really nice equipment for camera and lighting but if i don't have money yeah, for yeah. props and it just looks there's, not there's a classic uh yeah. meme about that right have you seen the one with the two the illustrations of the there's a a bank teller mm -hmm. and then the woman or there's a robber and then the bank teller yeah and then like it's like without art and then it removes the gun and it removes the 
the glass. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so just, it kind of goes through, like, without continuity, without... without yeah, without all, all these. And it's like, and I get it. It's like, we can have a lot of fancy furniture for art department wardrobe, but if I don't get the right camera equipment, it's not going it, to... Yeah. yeah, if we can't light it, I'm not going to be able to see it. So my thing is, like, we can balance, like, every department's important, mm -hmm. but we just need to make sure everyone's on the same page. And my biggest thing is communication. It's like, you need to let me know what you need, and we'll figure it out. Don't feel like you're pressured to sacrifice something. Don't feel like you need to be, mm -hmm. you need to demand all of these things. It's like, and that we're not hearing out your requests. Like, we are. Mm -hmm. It's just, we need to communicate in order to make sure we're getting the most efficient solution mm -hmm. you know that's mm -hmm. best for the project for everyone as well yeah so. so any i guess this could be a nice little advice segment you kind of said advice there where, where communication is key understanding mm -hmm. is key but is there something that kind of continually happens that you're kind of surprised continually happens and it's, it's not helpful in any mm, way yes um so one of my biggest thing i had even when i was working as an ac and i have mm -hmm. i have a second ac that was stressing out or when i'm working in production i have some of my production team um do was as 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 difficult as it is, is to stay calm when everyone's kind of yelling at you for everything I feel like you... Who, who's yelling at who in this scenario? Let me see. Um, here, as a production coordinator, so my okay. little scenario is, as a production manager or coordinator, I'm trying to do something and, you know, and when you have different departments going, it's like, I need this, I need that, and like being very aggressive sometimes. Um, I feel like as difficult as as it is, you gotta stay calm. You gotta be the calm one. And because mm -hmm. I've seen too many of my um, peers sometimes yelling and being irrational. And the thing that I notice with people is when you start getting frustrated with someone as a production person, right? Like, let's mm -hmm. take an example. Like, mm -hmm. um, let's say my line producer gets really frustrated and start yelling at someone. What's that gonna cause is they get defensive. Like, if you're yelling at an art, like if my line producer is yelling at my production designer, the production designer is going to feel very self-defensive. They're going to start yelling back. And it becomes a screaming battle and there's no communication and we are yeah. not going to come up with a solution. And basically it creates this tension throughout the shoot where my production designer just doesn't trust production team because they're like, well, you're yeah. just being irrational. You're not hearing to my demands and all that. And my biggest advice to any filmmakers, like you got to stay calm because you know, the shoot can go on, but us yelling at each other and pointing blame, it's not going to come up with a solution, mm -hmm. you know? So for me as a production manager, like, I have to stay calm and people yell. I'm just like, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, but right. I'm letting you know now this is the restriction we have. The thing you wanted to order, the earliest I can get it is tomorrow. There's nothing I can do mm -hmm. unless we charge an extra $200 for someone to pick it up and that's gonna come out of your budget, you know, art budget. I can arrange that, but I can't, I can't make this happen any faster for you. And you gotta let me know what you want to do. And you have to stay calm throughout those sure, manners. Sure. Even my other example is when I was at first AC and I had a second that was very like, oh, like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I was like, calm down. Is the camera okay? Yeah. Is everything up? Okay. 
there's no need to panic because the moment you panic, we start making little mistakes. We're mm-hmm. starting to like now we forget our cards. Now we forget the battery's dying and it and like shut off in the middle of a shot. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I was like, you gotta stay calm. I was like, yelling at me, yelling and me yelling at you is not gonna make the camera problem go away. You know, it's mm-hmm. just wasting more time. So instead of yelling, instead of pointing blame, let's just go. What's the problem? What's the solution? We'll deal with whoever did it later. Yeah. You know, like we just need to get this up now, and I can't do that if you're just gonna spend most of the time screaming at me. So right. Just calm down. It's yeah, Sing. and it, it, it's easier said than done. For, it's definitely easier for, said than done for for even the best of us. Um, I know. All right, I'm trying to think. Oh, where did I want to go with that? My thought was where. Okay, it takes a certain awareness to keep in control during those moments. And I don't know, I don't know, like I've been reading a book on like meditation. So I feel like that's kind of the direction you want people to go is being able to control their thoughts and being this outward awareness of like what's going on around you. Is this important? Where to put your attention and understanding the yeah. scenario. But that takes time to like stop and think. Yeah. Um, I, my... If I can say at least what helped with me is sure. every set that has been very stressful and that has been pushing me to the limit. Mm. At the end of every set, I don't just go, I hate this. This is the worst shoot. I was like, of right. course, it could be really, really bad. But I feel like what I gained from each shoot, at least my like what I start switching the way I think, is after every shoot, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how low budget, I think about it in this way. What did I learn from it? I can gain something from it. Basically, it's like, well, this has stressed me out too much during this scene. So I need to figure out a way to not escalate, like not have that escalate for next time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always evaluating after every set what you did, how your workflow is, and figure out ways that can make it better, Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. you calm. And honestly, it takes a lot of practice because I always tell my like when I had an, an AC that was stressing out, I was like, I can't really tell you how to calm down and not let it get to you because every person is different. And I was like, you gotta figure something that calms you down. Sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's literally, I would tell some uh, ACs like, go outside, and just take a deep breath, get some fresh air, you know? have a smoke. <laughs> yeah, some people do have a smoke. No. I was like, go, go smoke during our, like we're standing by for like 15 minutes, go. Take a break, mm-hmm. you know, go take a breather. And sometimes it's like we've been in this house for too long shooting yeah. these scenes and it's been very, you know, um, very um, stuffy. Go outside, clear your head, you know, take that. And sometimes it's like, hey, you seem stressed. What do you like? Can't If chocolate calms you down, have a piece of chocolate. And mm-hmm. I actually had a production manager that I coordinate a lot. When we're stressed, we have these little weird things that calm us down a little bit that helps us cope with our stress and one of hers was eating chocolate and mm-hmm. mints so I remember one time she was sitting there and she was looking so stressed and I was going to the kitchen to get something I'll drop like little chocolates for her and then she'll eat that when she feels really really stressed yeah, out yeah, yeah. and my thing during that show was I like to drink apple cider like hot apple cider that we had in the crafty table and when I get really stressed out I drink that so she'll make 
apple cider yeah, for yeah. me. So I was like little things that help you cope with it. Yeah, it's very nice of you. Yeah, and then also it's like it, you just get, you just need to know that you need to discipline yourself. Every after every shoot, mm -hmm. there's things that you can learn, things that you can be better at, you know. And one little mistake you did on a shoot, or one little mishap on a shoot where you get so frustrated, you know, you can learn from that, and you can cope with it better for the next shoot because I always feel like and I tell people no production is worth killing yourself over mm -hmm. so just take a deep breath if you need to walk away from a shoot because it's mentally draining you and you're gonna ruin your relationship with like a DP or a director yeah. sometimes it's just taking that step away for a little bit you know and as long as you let people know like okay this is my limit I can only do this and you recognizing it in yourself helps mm -hmm. you be better and helps you build more tolerance and more discipline for the next shoot. Yeah. And it's all a learning process. No, for sure. I guess I guess what I was thinking about when you were going through all that was of course I was thinking about my own experience. Yeah. <laughs> I I think and you you kind of went through a similar track so I mean, the more experience you have even in just different departments the more knowledge you have on how what everybody else around you is doing and that gives you a lot more insight into assessing a situation because mm -hmm. um, i i think i made like i was doing a lot of short films in reno uh, nevada before mm -hmm. i moved and uh that helped build up my confidence on just understanding what the process is like mm -hmm. and it was basically like, you know, student student film type of stuff. Yeah. Zero budget, just making stuff with all my friends and all that. Um, but I think like without without just the, the hours on set and just feeling the stress over and over again, it's hard to really make it normal. Like mm -hmm. you have to just normalize that feeling. Otherwise, yeah. you'll have that stress every time you land on yeah. set. Yeah, and it, it, it's not easy, I feel like, film filmmaking. It's definitely not like a walk in a park mm -hmm. and it does take a certain discipline to handle certain things and you know and I think what people need to understand is like you can go at your own pace like you don't have to feel like you can handle this all the time mm -hmm. and you know I like to think we're human we have our limits we have our stress point and it's okay to recognize that and once you recognize that don't beat yourself up about it just yeah. recognize what can you do to help with it next time you know That's... and Another thing I like to think about too is you gotta, I think you gotta learn how to be really good judgment of character because mm. there is, there's a difference between a really bad production, like let, as an example, mm -hmm. there's an, uh, there's a difference between a really bad production person who's just irrational, who's just not treating crew right, but at the same time, a production person who's trying their best, but they have their hands tied because of the logistics and the restriction given to us. Mm -hmm. So we had to recognize who they are. Because too many times where I feel like people go like, oh, production is just bad. I was like, are they bad or are they giving restriction that they're trying to make it work? And we, yeah. we as crew members, like me as like an AC, can't see that because we're not in their shoes. We're not dealing with locations. We're not dealing with permits. So I don't know what's going on on you know mm -hmm. their side you know yeah because they had one bad experience with 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 an individual yeah. in that same position and now they just apply it to everybody yeah else. where yeah. it's like now you just assume that producer is bad when they're not actually bad they just have their hands tied 
as in they want to help you, but they can't because of the restriction given to them. And that's me saying from my experience going from crew member to production. But at the same time, I also have to remind some production people where they're like, well, crew is demanding all this, blah, 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 you know? And for me, it's like, well, hold on. Like, they're not just Mm -hmm. irrational people. As someone who came from AC, I can see why they need these things, you know? Because of the demands of, like, the shot. Mm -hmm. And they're not just demanding it for no reason, you know? They could be actually needing a certain piece of equipment because of a safety thing that, as production people, because we're not on camera, we don't know about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are people who are demanding for no reason. So I think it's one of those, you have to be a judgment, a, a good, you have to practice being good at judging characters, judging like what other departments going through, you yeah, know? So tough. then we don't make a rash decision or we don't make a rash judgment of mm-hmm. a crew member just because we're like, well, they're being irrational. It's like, are they? What are they doing? Like, yeah. what is the situation? What is the shoot happening? And I like to tell a lot of my crew members, be very aware of what's happening on set. Always keep your ears and eyes open. Even if you're on standby, even if we're like standing by for like an hour because we have to reset something. Always have your ears and eyes open because you need to know, you need to see what's going on with the shoot. You know, what are the restrictions that this production seems to have? Is it location restriction? Is it permit restriction? Is it like a SAG thing Mm -hmm. that we're restricted on? Like what are the things that are making each department's job difficult? And for that, once we're aware of like what is happening, we can make a better sense of judgment of the crew as well as what we decide to do next. Where we're like, okay, I see that it's a permit issue, then I need to, like, if I was in camera, I see we have this weird permit issue, then I'm going to assess what my workflow is. Like, do we need this shot? Do we need, do we need this piece of equipment mm-hmm. for the shot? And is there a way I could make it work so it's not, you know, violating our permits or something like that? So it's like these little things yeah. that you can help move the set along. And, I feel like as much as our job is very important in our department, I think film can be very collaborative. And I think everyone can help each other make this go because at the end of the day, no matter what stress we have on set, Mm -hmm. once you have the final product on screen, don't we want to say, like, we're very proud of what we did. Despite of all the stress, we did it together and we made it work. And it's something that we're proud to say that I worked on that. Yeah, that's the that's the ideal. That's the ideal. Yeah, and you, I like your advice on uh, having your eyes and ears open, mm-hmm. even if you're technically like not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's almost like the advice. I mean, I feel like any every member of the crew can benefit from that advice, mm-hmm. and I think it's super additionally necessary for those that are just starting out, especially let's say on the production side, the PAs. Like that's PA. Like awesome PA number one is the is the production assistant that's like going going and doing things before they're even told to do it because they know like that's a need that's yeah. coming. Like, I think it, it's a it's a great skill. To yeah, it's, it's a, so I have like some uh, like scenarios that I sure. gave advice to when I was like keep your eyes and ears open. Yeah. is when I was a first AC, even if I'm a standby, because I was like, okay, art needs to reset. I'm not gonna. Um, we don't need camera up for another 30 minutes, right? It's just, we're standing by. But 
I like to keep my eyes and ear open because I can hear it's like, okay, we, you know what, Art's gonna do like something a little bit different. They're gonna splash something. So then I'll tell my second, I was like, okay, well, let's get our camera, like, let's get a camera bag ready because mm -hmm. we don't want it to splash on our camera. Let's mm -hmm. just be prepared for that. Let's get a clear filter on so it doesn't get on the lens. Let's just be prepared. I don't know how much they're splashing this blood, but let's just be prepared because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm listening to what they're doing. Yeah. And what they're prepping. So I need to prep on my side. The classic blood splash. Yeah, blood splash. And then another thing that I actually recently told an AC to do is blocking, right? Mm -hmm. When the director blocks with an actor, basically seeing what the movement of the, um, of the shoot's going to be, yeah. of the scene's going to be, I, can, I like to listen in because then I could prepare my... Um, second, so when we're talking about blocking, we're mm. talking about the framing, like when my... A cinematographer, my DP talks with the director. This is the frame we're gonna do first. I can just listen and I'll go and I'll radio to my second. I was like, hey, it looks like we're gonna go a uh, low angle, so let's get the hi hat ready. It looks like they're gonna go with a wide. He tends to like 24, so I'll have the 24 millimeter mm -hmm, lens mm -hmm. ready, maybe the 35 just in case, depending on how he wants to frame it. So the moment they finish blocking out the frame or scene, my DP looks over and I already have all the stuff ready for him. And yeah. it's like, I'm already prepared for that. And that goes where we're shooting and my AD, you know, can say, okay, we're on our last shot for the scene. And then I will go with, you know, as a camera person, I'll go up to the AD. It's like, hey, we're doing this last take, you know, for the scene. Where are we, where are we moving to? And they're like, okay, we're going to move in that room first. Right, right. And I was like, oh, and then we're going to see everything in that room. And they're like, yeah, okay. So then I go to my second. I was like, hey, we're moving on to this room. It looks like we're going to shoot pretty much 360 of it. So why don't we put all of our gear, prep it to be moved to outside over here. It looks like we're not, they're not going to see it out there. Um, and let's just make sure we're yeah, ready or, to move over. Yeah, and, or you'll check with the AED to see where it can be moved. Yeah, be moved yeah. and stuff. And I was like, hey, it's a tight space. We don't need our cart. Let's move our cart out of the way. Mm -hmm. But I'm, and I always tell my second, don't do it now. That's just be prepared that that's where we're going to move. Mm -hmm. So what it ends up being is like our department looks really efficient because we're yeah, all, yeah, yeah. always on time. We're always prepared. We're not asking too many questions because the moment you move from another scene to another, like one scene to another, every department's scrambling. The AD is going to be bombarded with a lot of questions. So if I can be ahead of the game by listening to what's going on, mm -hmm. At least with our department, we're not confused. We know what to do. We're not waiting around. We're already like moving. We're already doing things that we need to do to make this production go. So similar to like a PA, like if you're standing there and we're gonna reset and there's like, we need to reset and there's like splashes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, my PA knows to go get a paper towel because we know we're gonna have to clean up, you know, or yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, Cause I know, I know, I guess like, let's say I, I moved to LA recent, uh, two, two years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I've had other, other buddies come down and I, I've had the chance to meet a lot of new people in film. And I, I guess to talk about the, the, the stress stuff or not really about the, about the kind of like, not really the unawareness of what's going on on set, mm -hmm. I think potentially leads to people giving up on sometimes their dream ahead of time mm -hmm. because 
they're being asked to do things. They don't understand why they're being asked to do things, and they just think that they're being over... Like, I don't know. It could be the case where a, a producer or an AD is giving a PA more tasks than they can handle just because there's one PA on this shoe, and it's mm-hmm. like, we need all this stuff done. But then that PA goes home thinking, like, oh, my gosh, that was a horrible experience. I just did all this stuff. I didn't feel like I was appreciated. Um and I don't know if that's because that was actually the case or because of um, or if because maybe it was actually stuff that sh- was legitimately okay to be asked of them. Yeah. It's just the inexperience. It, know, so that's, that's tough to say because yeah. like you won't know what is overly demanding for your role until you get more experience, until mm-hmm. you work with different sets and you get different insight from different people who've been in the game for for a while you know and all that because even now like I have PAs that work with me before as a coordinator or manager I have PAs who work with other people I actually let me backtrack that I in my short film I hired a production coordinator and I was the producer mm-hmm. or I guess production manager you can say um, she's still new relatively new she just did a couple of things where she wasn't sure if a the producer was new or too demanding or were she doing something yeah, wrong. Yeah. So she asked for my insight. I was like, well here, this is what the this is what you are supposed to do. This is things that you can do on set to be more efficient. And then I told her this is where it gets a little bit too demanding because it's not really your role to do so. But at the same time, I also told her, at the same time, you're doing a low budget things where you don't actually have like a coordinator or a line producer. So the lines are blurred. Yeah, the lines are blurred a little bit. And I just told her as long as you communicate with them, it's like, okay, I can do that, but I need an extra hand. Like, don't be afraid to speak up when you need an extra hand because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're gonna it's gonna be on you if you promise too much and you know you couldn't handle that you know um and it's similar to like something i always say to someone's like if you know for sure like it's a safety thing or it's definitely you can't do no one's gonna remember when you say no to them or like when they you say hey you can't do that because of safety thing and things work out but they'll remember when you say yes and everything fucked up. Mm-hmm. And they'll remember that for the rest, like, for for many, many, many mm-hmm. years. So you got to, like, speak up when you find something that's a little bit, that you feel like yeah, it's not right, you know? Even if you're not sure. Yeah, just, even if, just saying it just in case Yeah, sounds, just vocalize yeah. it. Saying, like, hey, I'm not sure, like, it that seemed like yeah. a two-person thing to do. <laughs> and... You know, it, it is definitely tough. And I, you know, for people who feel unappreciated, you know, mm-hmm. set can be kind of intense sometimes. Sometimes people are yelling at each other and they don't mean it. You, ha- you can't take things personally, even though some people do. Like, you just can't take things sure. personally. People are going to yell. People are sometimes going to go like, oh, my God, I need this. And I don't think they're being directly mean to you sometimes. I think they're just in the moment of panic. Like, we just need to get things done. That even if you feel somewhat feel like you're not doing much you feel like it's not going to go anywhere you feel like you're unappreciated mm-hmm. i would say from my personal experience someone's going to be watching even if it's a low budget film you never know who's going to be watching you and if you have that upbeat attitude and you're just doing things you're doing the best you can 
someone's going to take notice. And, you know, I've done a lot of low-budget yeah. things that I didn't think that would go anywhere. And, um, and honestly, it took one person to notice me and it, to get me to where I am. So mm -hmm. you never know what that, how that's going to happen. And actually, there's a funny story how that happened to me. Okay. Is I was at AC, first AC, for like really low budget features where we're doing like 10 days and yeah. it was just gnarly and you know and I it really pushed me to my limit but I try to stay positive I try to be helpful there's this one key PA in this shoot that I was always trying to help them out and every time we, I was like hey can you help me with this and I would say thank you you're awesome you know thank mm -hmm. you for helping me move my cart and like every time he's taping something, it's like, hey, I have some gaff tape. Here you go. You know, it's, it's a PA. Even though I'm an AC, I don't mind him using gaff tape. I'll say, hey, do you need help? Like I'll help him safety if we're in the same area. But we were basically helping each other out. Yeah. And he's only known me as an AC. But we talked a couple times where he's like, hey, what did you want to be an AC? I was like, actually, I want to move on to production. You know, I'm trying to coordinate a little bit. Um, I coordinate a little bit of this thing, but... Yeah, you know, yeah. all that. Fast forward a year later, or two years later, after acing on sets with him as a key PA for many years. Okay. Um, two years later, I get a call from a production manager saying, like, I'm doing this union show for a really reputable company. And I got your recommendation. And he was like, I'm looking for a production coordinator. And I got your recommendation from blank. And it turns out it was a key PA that I worked with. And he threw my name into the pile. Even though he's never really worked with me as a coordinator mm -hmm. before, he just knows he liked the way I worked and he liked how efficient I was in my mm -hmm. camera department. He was like, you were really good logistically as an AC. He's like, I have confidence that you're going to be a good coordinator. So he threw my resume in. And, you know, and I got the job. I end up doing this. I end up coordinating for this union um, music special and from then on that um, that person that called me up for it I end up doing a lot of union shows with them and that's how yeah, I am yeah, yeah. and I'm doing stuff for like Warner Brothers for CBS and it's all because one freaking KPA noticed me and I just didn't think of anything we're just helping each other out and two years later he gave me the biggest opportunity of my life and it's crazy how and then from there I've been busy with production. Mm, that was your that was your your big break. Yeah, my big break, and you just never know. It doesn't always have to be a producer. It doesn't always have to be like the big headshot that noticed you. Mm -hmm. Hell, like one of my biggest like one of the crazy film that I got to work with was a AD that liked how I worked, and he's like, "You want to be my second? And I only worked with him as a an AC, but he found out I wanted to do yeah, yeah coordinating yeah. stuff. So, and I didn't I didn't hear about hear from him. To like eight months later and just randomly he's like i have this feature you want to work on it as production yeah. i was like sure and it's it's just an ad sometimes it's just a pa who knows someone who can throw your name in like you just never know who's watching so my biggest advice is like you know just when you're on set do your best mm -hmm. have a good attitude because mm -hmm. even though it seems like this production could be really shitty for you you never know what opportunity it might open. It may not open many doors. It may open a lot of doors, but... You don't know. But you don't know. And at the point of your career, you're trying to build a career. Just 
you have nothing to yeah, lose at that and point. It, and it just makes the experience enjoyable. Yeah, it just <laughs> so makes it, like, to have, be honest. Have fun, be awesome, keep getting better, and then yeah. whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And then, like, that's just the, no, I, I that's definitely the way it goes, and I've had similar experiences, too, mm-hmm. and, I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. Just how it works, and, you know, I am, someone has once said, I'm a very happy AC, but I did tell them, it takes it takes time to get here. It wasn't like something that happened overnight. Right, right, like right. it, I have set that has pushed me to the limit. I have set where I just wanted to quit. And it was a hard, long crawl to be able to have high tolerance for certain stress. But yeah. I think if you keep pushing at it, uh, you'll get there, you know. And especially for young filmmakers starting out, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to first feel years of your career because you're literally trying to network you're trying to build experience you're trying to find the right people you're gonna sometimes get screwed over by certain people and sometimes you're gonna meet the best crew you ever mm-hmm. worked with but it's gonna be a hard few years of really learning a lot about you as a filmmaker and mm-hmm. learning about the film industry in general and building tolerance for certain things building you know and all that so it's, yeah. it's gonna be hard but as long as you push through it i think eventually you never know when you get that big break sometimes yeah so with i guess with that being said i want to transition a tiny bit out mm-hmm. of production in general mm-hmm. into some specific experiences that you've mm-hmm. had and seeing if you have anything i guess to reminisce about because when i when when i google you mm-hmm. And find the one video interview that you do have up. I don't know if you're familiar with, with it. With Gook? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that feature. Yeah, it was 2017. Oh, yeah, you did a, You did like a five-minute interview. And you were a co-producer on that I one? was a co-producer for mm-hmm. um, a Justin Chan movie, Gook. That yeah, yeah. Dance. Yeah, so I was curious. Yeah, because... Um, yeah, which is which is very cool. Getting, getting to Sundance is cool. But And you mentioned... Like, I don't know if that was, like, a bouncing board into producer for you or how much producing you had done before, mm-hmm. but, like, what was, I don't know if there's anything in particular with that project that you look back on, but it seems like a, because you continued working with this director. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it was quite interesting because I was still doing camera stuff, yeah. but I was kind of treading the waters of production, and... The thing I learned about that is, honestly, I, it, it was like I did it for free. I was helping out. and For the experience. Yeah, for the experience. And you just, I didn't know where that was going to go. And you know what? The, the thing I look back and I tell a lot of people was like, I didn't know where that was going to go. I didn't know if it was successful or not. Like all of us didn't know. Sure. Like we, we knew we wanted to go to Sundance. We were trying our best. And we had a lot of lot of obstacles and restriction on that set, but and you know I, I feel like I see a lot of people getting too picky with shoots where they're like, oh, I'm not making enough money, or mm-hmm. like blah blah. blah. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I did it because I think I just never know where this is gonna take me, and it'll be great to work with someone new and all that. And you know, I didn't regret taking helping out with that. Because it did open a lot of doors, and I didn't expect that. So I think looking back, it's one of those, I could have said no, but I didn't. Even though, like, I felt like I wasn't gaining 
a lot from it, like monetary stuff and sure. all that. But, you know, it was a great opportunity to work with Justin and you just never know what's going to take. And I, I don't know, like it may have not taken anywhere, but you know, I decided to take that risk yeah. and just so, do it. And it kind of worked out. So what, <laughs> I guess with that being said, that because that is an interesting uh, scenario, because mm -hmm. I'm sure that happens um, more often than not on like, somebody's putting together a shoe and there's not much to work with this is like a the passion project and mm -hmm. this is the goals for it um how did what was the what was the pitch that brought you involved that brought you like well, I, well what's the story about and i don't know if or yeah how well, do you want to answer that it's it's quite interesting because back back then i literally was just like oh okay so if i have free ago. time if i have free time i'll do whatever you know yeah. like i just want to work in film. I want to learn more. Um, they told me it was a film concentrated with Asian American cast and the um, black community too. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. are having leads from the two minorities that aren't really heavily represented in Hollywood. So I was like, I like that. You know, I do want to work on a passion project where it promotes more Asian leads. It promotes more black lead that's not stereotypical. Mm -hmm. Uh, roles for yeah, them. It's a little you different. Know? It's a little different, and we're able to see that on screen. I like like we can have minorities on screen carrying the whole story, where we don't need uh, you know the Hollywood typical leading lady or leading band to carry sure. the story. So that really appeals to me. And honestly, I as much as people like oh passion project, you know, like you never know what's gonna happen. I was, at that time, I was like, if I have free time, I'll do any passion yeah. project for, yeah. like, people I know or people that need help because I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to see how this goes, you know, maybe it'll take me somewhere, maybe it doesn't. To be honest, only one out of ten passion projects actually did something for me, mm -hmm. and those aren't really great odds, but you know what, that's still an odd, that's still a chance, and well, it's better than me not doing anything. Yeah, and then I guess it, it leads back into the last advice you were talking mm -hmm. about too, is like if you just approach it with being awesome and doing a great job yeah. and having fun, whether the project as a whole is successful, there's still individuals involved mm -hmm. where you don't know where they're going to go next. You don't yeah. know. like And yeah, if you're yeah. somebody that's worth working with, yeah. that could splinter off into... Many yeah. things, and honestly, there's some shoots where it didn't go anywhere, but I learned a lot of like how I should do workflow. I learned a lot about like mm -hmm. paperwork. I learned a lot about like how the process is for certain things in filmmaking that, you know, like the project didn't really go anywhere, but sure. I learned a lot, and it actually helped me on my next project, you know, and for me, I always feel like 10% chance of getting a big opportunity is better than zero percent zero percent chance okay. of me just not doing anything yeah, me just waiting for opportunity to happen it's gonna take a long mm -hmm. time but me putting myself in opportunities yeah ups, way, ups the chances yeah there. increases yeah and i guess the reason i bring up that one too not only because it's the only recorded interview that i could find yeah i don't do a lot of interviews <laughs> no which is cool but uh it you transitioned from co-producer on that into, I believe, was it his next film, Ms. Ms. Purple? Yes, yes, I was still a co-producer on that one. I thought you were a producer on that. Were I, you co? I believe I was still co. Um, okay. I was still co-producer on that. But it's it's kind of weird looking back on those films where mm -hmm. I'm like co-producer, where I was just like, 
I guess you can say baby to the production life, to the production team, mm -hmm. to doing all those things and where I am now with it's, every all yeah. the experience I have is just like it's it's kind of gnarly because if you think about it, uh, the first film with Justin Gook was 2017. That's only three years ago. Right. And, and that's when it came out. Yeah, right? that's when it came out. I think, yeah, because we worked on it to the end, towards the end of 2016. Like, yeah. it was just a short period. And from, then, like, then Miss Purple came out last year. Yeah. Well, two years 2019 ago? 2019. Oh, 2019? Was it? Uh, is that's, I mean, that's what I looked up, and that's when he was kind okay, of doing yeah. some But it might have been... 20, yeah, yeah. 2018 when we filmed it. Um, and it's just, it's crazy to see how much has changed in um, just two to three years. And even though, like, I look back at my experience in that, I was like, I was just like, I was like, man, I was really new to this. And I wish I had the knowledge I had now yeah, yeah, doing yeah. that. But like, at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'm glad I did it. Uh, I gained a lot of experience. And you know, I wouldn't be where I am now without all the little experience I have on every single set that I have. Okay. I guess with that being said, what, uh, this might be too vague or too big of a question, but what, is there a particular experience or production that you were a part of that feels like I got a lot out of this in every aspect of my journey? Um, or... <laughs> there was, uh... There was two. Someone asked me this question before, okay. and there was two uh, interesting experience I had. I'm trying to remember. Um, or like what? Or I guess I'll let you think. Yeah. I think one of my first experience was my first union show. For I guess I'm gonna speak as a production side. Uh, because mm -hmm. I can't remember what was that one event I had when I was a camera person that reminded me, that really like changed my life. But I remember as production was my first union music special because that was like a whole world. Mm -hmm. I had no freaking idea and, I was getting myself into. And that's the one that you got, you were, you got thrown into the, the where the key PA recommended you. Is that yeah, the same one? yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh my God union special like there's so many things i didn't know that yeah. applied to this i was like what is this like all these paperwork all these union paperwork like i knew a little bit about it but i didn't know the extent of it mm -hmm. and you know it's funny that changed my life like just like was a big impact on me was i remember i was slowly per doing production for that i was slowly doing production um before that and I remember one of my big, like, so the thing I do is, like, every year, I love some point in my career, I create a goal. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do a union show. Mm -hmm. I've never done a union show as a coordinator. I'm going to try to do it, you know, or I'm going to do an international job, show, because I want to know how to, like, coordinate with international people, with different countries, you know. So that year, in the beginning of the year, I was coordinating um, some of these smaller shows, and also a Netflix show, but they're a non-union. Mm -hmm. And I remember going and like, okay, I'm getting more experience. I mean, that's One so of... cool, though. Just, just oh, say. yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I want to do a union show because that's something I haven't had experience yeah, with. Yeah. And I just want that opportunity. And lo and behold, I get a call. And I was like, you want to do this music special? It's union. I was like, yes. Like, I did not hesitate. I had no mm -hmm. freaking idea what I was doing in union show. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply what I know. 
and learn and ask questions along the way to my production manager, who was amazing, by the way, who helped me along the way. My line producer, my production manager, adored them so much because they really helped me with all the questions I have. Did that union show and oh my god, I have learned so much from it. I have learned not only how set was work, how um, set was run as a union stage show. So that was your first stage show in general or have um, you been on stage shows in other positions? No, prior? I've only worked on one stage show before that, but it was a non-union um, production coordinator. But they were already on like the fifth season, so it wasn't like I okay. worked from it from ground up. Yeah. So this was my first ground up kind of stage show. And I learned a lot. I not only learned how film ran, <laughs> like production ran yeah. for union and all that, like all the little details with IOTSI, all the little details with SAG, all the little details with vendors and working for a network company, like all the accounting details. I, I got to learn that. But two, I learned, I got to learn a lot of discipline in myself, trying to figure out how to cope with a lot of stress because it was mm. a different kind of stress that I've never experienced mm -hmm. before. And I learned how to communicate really well. Um, and that shoot taught me how to be very vocal. Like, I can't be shy. Like, I have to be very vocal as a coordinator. I have yeah. to go like, you can't do this. Or, hey, we can do this. Or, I need this information from you. And just not being too scared to approach a crew member. Yeah, because they're almost, in that scenario, are you talking like, you had to learn that skill because it, those problems weren't necessarily being brought directly to you, so you had to go and approach them. Yeah, approach them, yeah. and I was giving more responsibilities than I did before mm -hmm. all my other shoots. And the and what I learned too is like doing all these union shows and learning the the procedures that we have, the mm -hmm. hierarchy, and all that. That's weird. It helped. It was weird. <laughs> But I realized I have to be very efficient on these shows. Like, everything has to be planned out to the detail. Like, yeah. okay, the maps have to be laid out, all the layout maps. Like, where are we placing trucks? Where are we doing all these things? Mm -hmm. And it's like this whole new responsibility that I had. Um, even doing my first game show, union game show, I had to think of all these little details that I never thought about before. That when I actually came back this year and did a narrative mm. short for the first time in many years, I was able to organize things that I never got to experience during narrative as crew members because as crew member we show up we're like okay where do things go you know but I got to apply my knowledge from the union shows where I start making maps I was like okay every crew is going here you see the layout I know all these things that we need I plan these out so it actually ran relatively smooth mm -hmm. compared to a lot of narrative I got I've done before yeah and it's all because of these little experience I applied from my union show. Yeah. That I didn't think I could apply to narrative. I could. Just little details that I could apply. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I'm, yeah, no, it sounds like, I mean, uh, I'm thinking about coming back to narrative after doing union. Mm -hmm. What, what brought you, yeah, what was the what was the biggest surprise, I guess, from from coming back and realizing how unorganized narrative non union could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, it's one of those it's I was actually had a conversation with the DP of my short film about this. Mm -hmm. It's one of those you what people don't realize, just that little extra effort can go a long way. And I realize sometimes you know, you be on set on a narrative set where people are like, well, I only do this, I only do that, you know. And 
for me, the difference is like what brought like what opened my eyes when it comes to narrative is like, oh my god, I didn't realize before a narrative I ha I can think about all these little details as production, mm -hmm. and if I had those handled during pre-production, we can actually run really smooth, and it's literally and I was like it's. It's something that I didn't experience with narrative. Like just me taking the extra effort to think about what, what the little details that my art department needs, little details that my camera department needs, sure, sure. or even little details when it comes to um, setting crew information. Yeah. It's like making a little map of a layout. It's like trucks goes I mean, here, that's or what base I was camp. Thinking about primarily. Yeah, yeah is... like base camp goes here and all this, and like sometimes call sheet people are like this is where you're gonna show up this time, this is the parking. But I realized like doing the union show, I can add more details. Like remember to wear this because the temperature is gonna be this much. Mm -hmm. It's like, be prepared for this, be prepared for that. And um, just sending little details, uh, little small details I never thought about before into and applying it to my narrative shoots. I just, ha I think it's, it's what helps is everyone it's on the same page when we go to set. Like yeah. everyone knows where everything is. Everyone knows the the safety rules. Everyone knows like these are the restrictions we have. These are like the areas that we're allowed in. These are the areas mm -hmm. we're not allowed in. And with COVID, it's like, okay, these are the things that you have to do on set. These are the protective gear you have to put on set. And just being overly prepared like I was when on my yeah. union show, taking that little effort to be overly prepared and very communicative in my narrative film i would say my like the short film i was surprised of how organized it yeah. was well, like, yeah, there mean, was no issues it's, it's almost like it's not very surprising at all yeah. <laughs> that that stuff helps yeah because there's like kind of the joke with call sheets and emails too or like i know the ad's joke about it a lot with like no one reads it. Yeah, no one reads yeah. it. So then you get questions on the day, and it's like, oh, it's on the call sheet. It's yeah. on the call sheet. Check there, the email. There is actually, it was one of the funny things on the narrative short that my production manager was like, mm -hmm. oh, I never thought about that. It's when I told her, it's like, hey, we have a little extra budget on uh, production side yeah. uh, for production supplies. Why don't we go to, um, there's a store, Daiso, where everything's 150 I was like, bring some hand warmers. Can you buy some hand warmers before our shoot? Um, today, buy some hand warmers and buy these like one dollar gloves. And she's like, "How many?" I was like, five, ten, or whatever." We mm -hmm. have a small crew, mm -hmm. and she's like, "Why?" I was like, "Well, we're gonna be out on the lake. It's gonna be like thirty degrees. It's gonna mm. be very cold." Even and I told her, even though I told my second AC, AD, put on the call sheet, and I told her to emphasize it in both. It's gonna be cold. Bring warm clothes. I looked at. I told my production manager, someone's gonna freaking forget to bring gloves, and someone's gonna be very cold. So let's get it. And lo and behold, on set, all the gloves were taken because there's mm. a bunch of people who forgot to bring gloves yeah. because it was way too cold. And I was like, see, we're prepared yeah, for we're that. No, we're not used to having cold out here. Yeah. And then I was like, and I, I was like, I know someone's not gonna read the call sheet, and someone's gonna forget. Yeah, and yeah. It's gonna be cold. So we're even planning for that, which is you know, yeah. Exactly. And then uh, little things like I, I had extra budget. I was like, there are these ten dollars little. Um, table portable heaters mm -hmm. and I was like we're gonna be eating outside for our last day mm -hmm. it's gonna be very cold and someone's gonna complain let's just put a table heater on each table we have money to spare let's just do that and it just felt really you know it, it it's the little effort that we think that makes things. crew think like 
were a lot prepared. Like, well, we were really an efficient set. And it's just, it, it wasn't like that crazy of a thought. We were just like, okay, you know, it's gonna be cold. We should get heaters. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. All those little things. No, for sure. No, that's awesome. I, I like, it always, it makes sense that it comes, the little things matter. Mm-hmm. Attention to detail matters. So it makes sense to me. It sounds, it sounds like awesome stuff that you were doing. I'm trying to read my notes and talk to you at the same time. Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, I wanted to transition again mm-hmm. more fully out of, or let's talk about, we can either stay in here, I'll give you an option. Do you want to talk about experience crowdfunding or do you want to talk about uh, Los Angeles living and friends and- Um we can talk about Los Angeles because crowdfunding, I'm not really too experienced okay, in it. Um, it was more of my creative producers. Like, usually people come to me with passion projects and they're, you know, I give them a little bit of advice what they should pitch their, to their crowdfunding, but I don't really. As far as like cr- creation of the videos? Creation and... of the videos or what they should talk about and stuff, but I don't really, I'm not really hands on with crowdfunding. Yeah, you're not really managing the mm-hmm. thing. It's just. Yeah, I literally tell them, like, yeah. this is how much budget you should get. So I, I try to find that somehow. It's almost like a line producer. Yeah, yeah, I'm more of that. All right, so let's transition out of production a little bit, I guess. It mm-hmm. still kind of leaks into everyday life, but talking about, I guess, like Los Angeles living and freelance life mm-hmm. and uh, how you approach it. Because you've been doing it for a while, I, yes. I, I'm assuming. I, I don't know your full life, but... Uh, I've done odd jobs during like senior year of high school. Well, since I was 16, I did odd jobs all the way to college. And then I ended up doing like freelancing filmmaking in LA. And I can say it was really, really hard. Uh, Mm. I have people coming here think, you know, Hollywood dreams, you know, and you can just get into it and go really far up in the ladder. And the harsh reality is, like, it's hard. It's It was the hardest few years of my life, literally. Like, I, I was saying, like, credit card debt, you know, like just all those, like, crazy sure, sure. things. And you're saying the moments transitioning from, from high school, the odd job. The odd, from the odd job, from the odd stable jobs to, like, I'm going to be a freelance is, filmmaker. What is an odd stable job? What is, what um, is that? I worked two to three jobs at a time when I was in college to support myself in college. So I was like, I worked in retail at a little like comic book store and all that. Mm -hmm. And I was like a secretary for a law firm, just doing little things, you know, um, you know, kind of like nine to five jobs part time. I also was like a laser engraving tech for like a little uh, laser engraving shop. Okay. So those are Is one, that of like those... one of those mall spots where you get yeah, out? where you can come in and laser engrave your little things. And I was the tech for it, just okay. in case you, anyone has like programming issues or laser engraving issues. And you know, I used to work at like a factory putting together like wire parts for like airplanes for my uncle. Just like little okay. odd jobs that were more yeah, consistent. Yeah. You know, like, I'll come in, like, I have an actual set schedule. I'll come in, I'll work, I'll get, like, a paycheck every two weeks. Yeah. All that. And that, you know, going from there to, like, freelancing, filmmaking, and weddings photography mm-hmm. and videography where there's really no set schedule um, a week, you know. It's basically whatever projects come sure. about. Yeah. And you're just going to have to take it sometimes. You you can have a really good... Um, 
time with workflow, like with workflowing in where you could be working every weekend, every week, almost every day to like four months of no work. And you're just like, oh my God, that's really daunting yeah. to think about. It's really, really difficult, but, um, you know, but then I just kept reminding myself, say, I really like this. I, I can't do, I'm not the type of person who can do office jobs. So I just got to push through it. Like, it, it So had you, had you had the chance to work an office job before? Or you just know inherently that it wouldn't be a good fit? I worked at a law firm as a secretary. Oh, right. Yeah, right, right. when I was just like calling insurance every day, doing the same thing, you know, files come in. I look at the files. I'll do all the necessary paperwork, and submit it. how long it. was that one for? That was for two years. Okay, that's enough time to know. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely <laughs> enough time to know. So I was doing that, and then freelancing is just, like, I think the stress and difficult part of it was, I think my love for the creative process and my love for the experience I got on set overcame the stress of like the freelance life where it's not stable. Mm -hmm. I don't know when my next job is, especially starting out when I don't have that much experience to do the bigger stuff. Um, just my love for what I get to do every day kind of help mentally push me through the difficult times. Yeah. You know, especially in LA where there's just so many people applying for the same job as you, you just like, there's just a lot of competition out here. It's just so. a number, numbers game at some point, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So, all right, so you were transitioning into into film life there. Mm -hmm. And then now that you're, now that you've had a chance to kind of, I, I, I don't want to say like coast. Coast makes it sound like it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> but now that you're a little bit more, I'll call it stable. Yeah. What, how does that play into friends? So the, so how has friendship evolved through all of that it's so crazy um i when i was younger i don't really have that many friends or i just yeah, didn't have good experience you with people being introverted yeah so that, was... that could classically mean you've got like a strong core group of of a small yeah. number of friends yeah or i was very introverted i was very shy i especially in elementary school i just didn't get along with kids i was like bullied a lot too mm. and i just couldn't get along with people i don't know why like i tried my best and i just for some reason i'm not clicking with people mm -hmm. and you know and i was like a very instantly enough like i was a people pleaser but i like fell in and out of like friends group because mm -hmm. I just I don't know there's just something I just couldn't really click or connect with people and I don't know why you know I just like mm -hmm. maybe it's like I'm just like a certain personality type that doesn't get along with people um I was just really shy and I I just couldn't speak up for myself mm -hmm. I, I got pushed around a lot I was very bullied a lot um so Quite interestingly enough, when I decided, like, I'm going to go to L.A. because I used to live in Orange County. I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do filmmaking. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do filmmaking. And why I love filmmaking is it gave me an opportunity to really develop my personality. I'm more mm. outspoken. I speak out a lot. I would like to say, like, I stand up for myself more or in a sense, um, I used to care so much about what people think, you know, that I stay quiet. I let people do certain things, you know, like push me around and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess with 
what I learned from filmmaking and building a tough exterior, I'm like, I don't really care what people think anymore. I was like, if you don't like me, you don't like me. You know, that's, that's just yeah, how it yeah, is. Yeah. And so transitioning to friends, I actually met some of my really good friends, my closest friends through filmmaking. And I got to meet really genuine people um, in LA mm -hmm. that I hold near and dear. And literally like, I, they have become, and there's something that, there's a there's this crew that I worked with when I was in camera and the genie team mm -hmm. with my DP. We call ourselves like the film family because it's it's our little family. We've yeah. done all the shitty stuff together. We've done all the really nice stuff together. We've always helped each other out, even though we're in different departments, you know. And we've been this like little family that always looked out for each other. And it, being able to connect with certain people like that in LA mm -hmm. has been very rewarding. Because I know there's this sense where LA has a lot of fake people, you know? Sure. And, you know, I can say that's definitely not wrong. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it's very common to find people kind of using you for their own benefits, you know, and all that. But I think what's nice too is you can also meet the most genuine people here. And that's the thing that I got blessed to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, living in LA and working through these like tough situations, there are some friends back in Orange County that I have built a better relationship with because I kind of understand myself better. Mm -hmm. I have uh, developed more of a personality that's very me. So I'm able to connect with certain people. So my experience, at least living in LA, has been very rewarding only because I get to learn a lot about myself. Yeah. So do you feel like you know who you are now? Or is there still some discovery left to, to, I, to mine there? I want to say I'm going to always discover things sure, about myself sure, throughout sure. my life. Because I realize I'm not the same person as I was five years ago. But I'm also not the same person oh, I was oh. a year ago. So for me, I think I will always be discovering myself. But what's nice right now is I have a better sense of who I am and who I want to be and right, what I want right. to work towards. Yeah, because I guess, I guess I didn't mean to be asking about, is this your final form? Mm -hmm. But yeah, just the the understanding your wants and, and, mm -hmm. and, and like you said, who you are, how you respond to people, the fact that you've had the experiences of, like what, what film does is it gives us tasks, mm -hmm. gives yeah. us, like information that we're in charge of and it really helps cultivate communication yeah and learning learning the skills that we can take back to real life yeah which is helpful and i also i, I was talking to a friend too and I, I think that what's nice especially living here and meeting new people mm -hmm. and going through all the experiences like good and bad especially in la was um it's like with the fast life of LA, especially especially filmmaking and freelancing, like we're trying to make it big, we're trying to create a career, you know, mm -hmm. we're trying to network, we're trying to trying impress to... certain people, right? Yeah. That yeah. we forget how to value ourselves as people. And that's why, like, that's the nice thing that I learned from here, like living in LA is how to value myself. Like when to mm -hmm. say, no, that's my limit. When to say, you know what, mm -hmm. I don't want to keep, trying to make it work with this work relationship or with this company because yeah. I feel like I need to hold myself value. I need to hold my time more value mm -hmm. and all that. And just 
like being very confident in yourself and knowing like you know you're still human at the end of the day no matter how much work I and mean, how many people the crowds in LA or the crowds in general in life where you're trying to impress and all that it's like when knowing the limit when you're like you know what I'm still human and my feelings are valid so I need to know when I need to take a step back from this and and see like you know what that group's not worth it or mm-hmm. that job is not worth it to like kill my mental state over yeah. and that's something I appreciate learning from my experience living here mm-hmm. and these days I guess you can even take that almost literally in a mm-hmm. sense because of because of COVID mm-hmm. and, and whatnot because that's that's almost like Another layer on top is like yeah. this production company's crappy and they don't treat me well. And yeah. also I'm risking on some level because they're not taking it seriously or yeah. whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, but going back to the friend thing. So how long, like, like I said, being that I'm still kind of new in the mm-hmm. area, how, how, how long have you been able to maintain that same core group and how, how does that? <laughs> Let me see. I think we met each other back in like... I want to say 2015, 2014. Okay, that's a good run. Yeah, and 2015 to the 2017, we kind of didn't really talk to each other. We worked on a couple of sets together. Thanks. And then it's not until, like, I think 2017 or 18 where we, like, literally did three low-budget features back-to-back, and mm-hmm. we depended on each other a lot, and then we just kept in touch. And, uh, and that's when we started developing this core group and again it expanded over time Mm -hmm. too like you know with different people with different groups as well and you know what's interesting is one of those it's like I I learned from my job like my career Mm -hmm. was like I appreciate all the people that has helped out and reach out and you know like you reach out a helping head on helping hand on set some people don't react well to it some people like are reciprocated and they you guys help each other out that I learned that you know sometimes you vibe well with people on set sometimes you don't and from that like up to now like it's it's quite interesting how like how the more confident I've been with myself the more I connect with certain people like I went from like the beginning of my career moving up here really shy really introverted maybe talking to like the same two three people to now I have like like I would say like three chat like three separate chat groups with Mm -hmm. three different people like I have a camera team chat room that I still connect with my same camera people I have one with like my feature crew that we worked on all the features together I have a production one with like these two production people that we're staying close that it's been really nice because like even though we don't work on the same project we're helping each other out like I remember one time someone was texting like I'm so stressed out like my line producer is being Mm -hmm. crazy what do you guys think we're like well here this is what you can do and we're just yeah, yeah, being supportive in each other's career. Yeah, how do you feel about the uh, the overlap between work and life? With like, that's one thing that I'm trying to work through myself. Is like, do I just get it through my through my head that my friends are likely going to be the same friends that I'm hoping to also work with, mm-hmm. or am I going to have friends outside of film? that have nothing that have no idea what I'm up to and we're just kind of yeah. like friends regardless like yeah. it's kind of like a weird it's, it's, a, it's weird a weird thing. thing um I have a couple experiences that I have a couple of really close friends mm-hmm. um I have like a group of girls that I stay connected with and they don't work in film they're 
Lily and Olsi, none of them really work okay, in so film. Okay, they, so they, they predate you moving into film, though. Yeah. They, yeah. Or actually, no. Interestingly enough, they were... Oh, okay. How can I say? It was one person... Interestingly, we met on a photo shoot where I did makeup for it, and she did body paint, and we just stayed connected because she did all my tattoos. Okay, And we nice. became best friends, even through film. Like, she was actually... She has nothing to do with film, but she's been supportive of me every step of the way like she'll watch like she'll try to watch yeah, everything yeah, yeah. i do it's yeah. like really really sweet and um i got to know her and then she asked me to be a bridesmaid for a wedding so i got to know her close group friends yeah and they kind of just accepted me and um <laughs> they kind of just yeah they, they like just kind of <laughs> merged me into their group and it's quite interesting because because i'm in film and i live in la and everyone mm -hmm. lives in orange county my sketch was so erratic but you know, like what I appreciate with that group that even though we're not in the same industry and they know how busy my schedule can be, they still include me into things. Like even though I can't make, like I can only make one yeah. out of like 10 things that they plan out, like they still keep me up they to date. They still try to include you. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of nice because it's like a nice break sometimes, like being able to talk to people who aren't in film, who has different lives. Of careers who has different life experiences you know just getting that nice refreshing yeah. like outlook take in a life. Break. yeah take a break and then of course and then I have close friends that were in film and so the difficult interesting interesting difficult thing about being friends with fellow filmmakers mm -hmm. is learning the toughest part is learning how to not take things personal on set because set can be crazy mm. set can bring out Sometimes the worst in us, sometimes it brings out the strict version of us where we're like, I'm your AC. I'm literally trying to get this done. Yeah, yeah. And I had a situation with a second where it was very intense with us. And you were first. And I was first and he was my second. And we were just like, we were just, like, we were just at, it was intense, at you know. At each other's throat. At each other's throat. But I remember pulling him aside and I was like, I'm almost like, just like I, I almost wanted him offset. I was like, you're just, we're not, this is not working out. Mm -hmm. you, it's just, you're frustrating me and I need to hire another second. But I did pull him aside. I was like, hey, I want you to know at the end of the day, this is what I feel. I hope you feel the same. It's like, whatever happens on set, even if I tell you that you're fired or anything like that, that's coming from an AC. Like I told him on set, I'm talking to you as an AC right now, as your first AC. And then once we wrap, I told him, like, hey, whatever happens on set, that was between a first AC and a second AC, you know? But at the end of the day, I told him, I care about you a lot. You're one of my dearest friends, you know? And, you know, I think of you a friend. So right now, the moment that we are wrapped, mm -hmm. I don't see you. I don't see the tension as a second AC that I, I was experiencing beginning of the day. I see you as my friend. You know, and I was like, I can grab a beer with you anytime. On set, I can be like really strict with you. I can be really hard on you. But the moment we wrap, we're friends, I can get a beer. And I told him, I want you to know I'm keeping those two separated. separated. You know, yeah. I'm not going to bring all my frustration from work to our friendship. Because at the end of the day, I was like, I like to go on set saying, that's my second AC. You know, yeah, I, yeah. we're, we're going to keep a good working relationship. I want to be fair, as, a, as fair as I can as a first. But, you know, there are certain things that I have to implement to them. But 
once we wrap, I'm not gonna like project that onto their personality. Yeah. Unless they're like really giving me an attitude on yeah, set, sure, and I was like, sure. okay, that's your personality. I can't be friends with yeah. you. But like, if it's a dear friend and I know how they are as my friend, I'm not gonna take anything that happened on set personal. Because at the end of the day, we all stress, we yell, well, we then, can't help then, it. Then again, then again, just to push back a tiny bit on that, mm -hmm. it is easy to come from. Like it's it's it, it's almost feels different when you're the person of power status above the other person yeah. too, because like I know I've had experiences where I've where I've been able to like hook up people mm -hmm. and it's like all right sweet like I just overheard that they need some extra PAs tomorrow or something mm -hmm. and I can hook up a buddy and then I'm a script super or, or yeah. a first AD or whatever and then I'm in charge of them or like I'm. I'm hanging out with the cool people and they're all doing other stuff and it's like oh hey uh yeah <laughs> like yeah thanks for bringing the chair for me like yeah it's, it's a weird it's a weird thing i have i had an experience <laughs> when i was the first ac and i had a dp and we were just not getting along mm -hmm. on set for some reason but we've been friends for before like for a while and i just had to remind myself not to take it personally because i was like you know he's my hair up but he's on a different stress level that i can't imagine because sure. i'm not a dp you're very so, understanding yeah i'm trying not to take it personally and it takes a lot of practice but at the end of the yeah. day it's like i you have to remind yourself and i remind myself after we wrap it's like mm -hmm. at the end of the day if if we weren't doing the set are they a good person okay are is how they're acting on set valid like were they just stressed or is that like actual personality trait mm -hmm. then i had to take that into consideration yeah, and then yeah. and at the end of the day i wrap it's like you know what he's a good friend i'm not going to take it personally and i think this goes back to when i say like we the thing i learned living in la and working as a filmmaker that everyone would eventually hopefully learn is being as good judgment of character knowing if it's the position that they're being put into or is it actually the personality trait mm -hmm. and you know we just have mm -hmm. to make that judgment and to be honest there's no right or wrong at the first time around there's a lot of trial and error to that and sure sometimes you lose friendship sometimes you don't but i actually like to think at the end of the day if we were a really good friend and we had a really good connection there's nothing that we can't communicate and worked out yeah 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 you know because of, of course there's the two sides of the coin too mm -hmm. where sometimes you discover that this that is a personality yeah thing, and, then you and they just don't know how to they there's some there's some there's some sort of gap there where yeah. they're, they're bleeding over too much mm -hmm. and it's a yeah yeah if, if they're gonna attack me personally for like a stress on jobs you know then it's one not, of those like i'm that's nice. that's not that's not maybe that's not a friendship i want to consider having sure. around and especially one of those i had a friend is like what if you're trying to do your job right you know and they get mad and they don't want to talk to you and then i actually told my friends like well if they're gonna ruin you know five years of friendship over a argument on set just like a small argument mm -hmm then maybe you guys weren't as close as you thought you were. And maybe this is not a friendship you want to keep around. Because I met and talked to a lot of people. Some came, some stayed, some mm -hmm. screwed me over really hard, some caused me depression. And the thing I learned about it is like, I went, I talked and met a lot of people. And I'm gonna, and I'm to this day, I'm still continually meeting a lot of people. And there is like 
a group of people that I met, my, my production manager and line producer mm -hmm. from my first uh, music special, we still have a chat room. We don't talk on a regular basis, but sometimes we text each other, how are we doing? So what I realize is you're going to meet and connect with a lot of people, and you're going to be disconnected by some people. But I realize it's, it's not the end of the world because you're gonna, it's going to take time for me and it's going to take time for people to really find and find the people that you really gravitate to, that really have your best interests or you have mm -hmm. their best interests, that really connects really well. And where little arguments don't, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of that friendship, you know. And yeah. you're going to meet people that learn how to really communicate better. Because I feel like there's no problem or issue that you can't communicate. And sometimes that communication, sometimes that mm -hmm. conversation you have, is when you discover it's like you know what we are not that compatible and that's okay we can just be acquaintances you know we and or taking that step back it's like i actually had those situations where it's like hey i love you as a friend but i realize our working relationship is very toxic so i can't work with you anymore to preserve our friendship mm -hmm. it's like these are the little conversations yeah. that you just gotta have and you know what? They're uncomfortable conversation, but if you want to really understand a person and really want to keep a friendship, sometimes you have to have that uncomfortable yeah. conversation. Yeah. No, it's very insightful stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I like all of that. It's very, like I said, insightful. It's, very, very thought through. Very. It's a different perspective of how to handle human relationships sometimes. And no. sometimes it's... You're just preaching communication. Yeah, <laughs> communication is, you know why? It's, it sounds so simple. It's set easier said it's, than done, communication. It's hard. It's because it's uncomfortable, but I also feel like you don't learn much from things being comfortable. You mm -hmm. learn a lot yeah. when things are uncomfortable mm -hmm. and that are difficult because you discover a lot of things. You discover things that work and things that don't work. And... You know, and I know confrontation is very difficult for mm -hmm. people, but confrontation may be difficult, but the negative emotions that you manifest inside and you let it fester because you don't want to talk about it, it's going to be more damaging in the long run, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I, I vibe with that. Mm -hmm. and I, I believe that. I guess, I don't know if I want to... We have... A good amount of time left and I'm not sure we can go a bunch of different ways because I do want to talk about I'll just list off a few things I want to talk mm -hmm. about just based on Instagram alone oh yeah <laughs> uh food uh -huh. you seem like I don't know if you're like a because talking like outside of film like it seems like you're you're, you're very into arts and crafts mm -hmm. you're very into uh like, I think you, do you, you bake a lot or you cook and stuff? Is I do cook and bake a lot. And it stems from my dad because he used to be a chef. And <laughs> honestly, with the stress of, like, everyday life and work, yeah, yeah, that yeah. cooking just calms me down. And it's something I like to do. I am a very active person now. Like, I, mm. I have to do something. Like, even if I have a Zoom call with a client, if I have 10 minutes to spare, I want to do something. I can't just sit okay. there. So right. I like to cook or bake. And I like to do these little things. And it brings me, you know, like sometimes life can be very hard. And, you know, I don't need a big 
revelation of like what's Re- happiness or revelation. Re- revelation of what's happiness or I don't need like crazy change in my life to distress me. Sometimes it's yeah. just the little things that brings you a little joy to help ease the mind and give me more clarity to think about everything else. Because then um, it seems like, I don't know how often you do this, but when you do, it, it kind of bleeds into the, the friend stuff too. Like, I, th- I, I don't know if it's like Mishi or mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I've seen multiple scenarios in which you're gifting food or you're being gifted mm-hmm. food and food seems like this very friend transactional yeah. <laughs> uh what's like it's like the love language thing is mm-hmm. like a gifting whatever it is yeah. it can say a lot i and... think my experience was like you know um I went through a lot of difficult things in my life. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just, you don't want someone to like, I can solve this for you. Sometimes you just want someone to reach out and like, hey, are you okay? And like make you feel like you're not going through it alone. Mm-hmm. Make you feel like, you know, you're being heard, whatever it is. Um, so for me, I think what my experience is from like my past experience, I look at people, I'm like, you know what, I don't know what's going on in your life. And sometimes the happiest people might be going through the most. So for me, I I realize at least what I've experienced is I don't need to give something big or do something like, like, like something crazy for people to feel joy sometimes the little little things really brings the tiniest happiness to people's life and it's kind of it's kind of nice because like i i can have a friend going through a stressful day and i can't really fix their problem and i sometimes people don't really want to talk about it i totally understand because yeah when we go through some men like like mental health issues or emotional issues like it's it's hard for us to communicate and that's okay yeah because we're because we're still working through it yeah, ourselves and, or whatever the case and we don't want to feel pressure to talk about it and mm-hmm. for me i think the little like little things that you do for people is one of those hey i can't help you and i'm not going to force you to talk about it but you know i baked you something to know that i'm here for you mm-hmm. and i hope you're doing okay just so it's like or like little distractions, like I know you're going through a stressful time, so you know I made these cookies, and I hope it helps give that little joyful distraction because yeah. that's something like I like I had a couple of people do for me, and it actually makes a world of a difference yeah. during a bad day. So for me, if I could do that in return, it's it's just it's yeah. really nice. And personally, I like I'm happy when my friends are happy. You know, like I'm happy when we're all happy. So. Even it's little things that we can do for each other. It doesn't. It doesn't take much out of our day. It doesn't cost us much. And but like baking cookies can take like thirty minutes for me, right? And it doesn't cost me much. Sure. It doesn't take much out of my day. But you never know. That might be the biggest positive effect of someone else's day that I don't know about. Like it may have not been much for us to do, but it might have made someone's day very, very heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could have been a heavy yeah, change you're, for that. You're saying mood. you're saying being gifted the cookies. Yeah. Being just knowing that that you were thinking of them, mm-hmm. and then here's this gesture to show that you're there and you care yeah. like that. No, that that because because when you're in those and when you're in those low moments, you're often 
trying to tell yourself that others don't see you or they're not yeah. there for you, but then that kind of gives that little spark of hope. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. It's it's proof. It's physical proof. Yeah. And that's nice. Because I, I feel like one of the experiences, sometimes when life gets to you, you feel like you're drowning. And mm-hmm. sometimes all of us need a little reminder that the bad things don't stay bad that long. Like, literally, mm-hmm. as cliche as it sounds, life moves on because, like, you can go through something and there's tomorrow and there's the next day. And sometimes there's a lot of events in our life where we look back, like, maybe years from now, that it's like, I can't believe that happened, but I'm so much more different. And yeah, it's like yeah. things have changed and that doesn't affect me anymore. So these little gifts, it's just, it's, it's a little bit of reminder of someone's like, even though you're going through something bad, Little good things can still happen. You just got to work towards it. Because when you're saying that the bad things aren't forever, yeah, it reminds me as well of like you said, it, it, there's still tomorrow. There's still mm-hmm. like I almost think that even the gift of the cookie itself, like the, the, the next moment being happy, like, that could change the entire day. Like yeah. you kind of said, like. It could change on, on, on an instant. An instant, depending. yeah. You know. And sometimes it's like, just have the sigh of relief after feeling so um so suffocated just that one moment of joy can actually distract you from like the like the difficult realities of life and Mm -hmm. it just distracts you a little bit and then at least for me when i get something like that and i'm going through something difficult i take a breather and sometimes i someone will make me something and then i'll take a bite and i was like it's that moment distraction i was like you know what i'm actually okay I can do this, you yeah, know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it calms my head down because when you're stressed, your mind's going through so many things, going through so many scenarios, going through so many, like, just turmoil that sometimes yeah, just, that one little second can just make you take a pause. You're like, you know what? My head's a little bit more clear. Mm-hmm. And it's no, not as bad as I think it yeah, is. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't quite expect my question about cookies to go mm-hmm. <laughs> to be so deep. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I dig it. Um, let's transition from cookies to ice cream. Ice cream. Rumor has it you're a big fan of you're a, you have a sweet tooth. I do. And you like ice cream. I do. Okay. Weirdly, well, kind of. I don't know why. Sometimes, sometimes I like ice cream. Sometimes I'm just like. Eh. Or sometimes you don't like ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw out some names of some ice cream places. Honey, me. I do like Honey Me because it's very funny. You know who likes Honey Me too? My dog because I give they're... her a little oh, like okay. little taste because it's like kind of milk. I try not to give her too much. She's like obsessed yeah, with yeah. Honey Me too. I was too. like, wait, do they have a dog? A no, dog? they don't. <laughs> but it's not too bad. No, like no, as long sure. as you don't give too much. Um, she likes Honey Me a sure. lot. Sure. So what is Honey Me? Is it just ice cream? It's it... ice cream, but it's one of those. It's not really vanilla. It's like milk flavor ice cream. And mm. what I like is... I like the simplicity of it where it's just milk flavor so it's not as creamy or heavy as mm-hmm. vanilla ice cream but they put honey like fresh honey and honey cone on it okay. so it has that little nice sweetness from the honey and yeah. it has a little bit of a mellow taste from the milk yeah i i've never been but oh. I, I did see it i did see it uh you had posted very good. you had posted some <laughs> cool pictures about it and I was like, it looks good. It look, it's really good. I really like it. And it's just, it doesn't feel heavy at the end of the day, like mm-hmm. vanilla ice cream. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, to, to satiate mm-hmm. that sugar urge. Um, I don't know. 
I can talk about a couple other things. Let's talk about like this. This could potentially go nowhere, mm-hmm. but based on the cookies, I don't know where it could go. The hair. So, I know that you, like you, you, you color your hair on occasion. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's short. Yeah, I, I literally made a decision that morning. I was like, cut it short. Yeah, She's like, yeah. Are you sure? I was like, yeah. Yeah. So how? What? What does this external representation to go a philosophical route demonstrate about or is it just like how do you approach it i approach it if i can say anything about my hair if it's not just like me just feeling changing up my hair it's one of those i tend to be very impulsive so this is like Mm. the nice impulsive thing that i can do that's not harmful but i think i think one of the things i do is little things that i do is like i bake new recipe i change up my hair all the time is because I feel like when I work and doing things day to day, I have to be very structural. I was like, okay, these are the mm-hmm, things I have to do. Mm-hmm. So like for me to break up the monotony of that is I change up my hair. I'm very impulsive and it's, yeah. it allows me to be that impulsive, spontaneous um, side of me is changing my hair a little bit because I, I work in such a structural world sometimes that I need to do something that's sure. a little different. And it keeps me a little sane, I think, mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. then it's, it's me balancing like structure with a little bit of spontaneous chaos. It's, you know, like I think everything in life can be a balance. Mm-hmm. You can be very strict on, like me, strict on set, but I can also be very impulsive and just spontaneous when I go out to yeah, yeah, travel yeah. or do something fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, and all that. So then, like, that's how my hair is. Okay. It's like me just being spontaneous because I don't really get to do that. So it's something I like to do just to change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'll go from, like, pink to blue mm-hmm. to, I don't know if you've done silver or... I have done. I have okay. done many things. And, I, you know, I think it is a little bit of a reflection of my personality because mm-hmm. I think what people say, you know, because I work all the time, what people say, there's two sides of me. There's the really strict person who's like, I need this and this. And there's mm-hmm. also that weird, weird, mm. spontaneous person who's just really random and just there's no, yeah, like, yeah. if I don't talk about work, the things I talk about is just very random. Like, it just makes no sense. I can just be distracted by anything. So my hair is kind of like a reflection of my personality where I'm just like, I don't really care. I like to do whatever (laughs) I feel like. And, you know, it's always random. It's always weird. But, you know, I like it. I embrace it. And, um, And I think it is also another reflection is like I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to really connect with people and make friends and I had mm-hmm. such a hard time and no matter what I try to do I can't please them and it's always like me always trying to please the other person mm-hmm. and me like putting pushing my personality down just to make sure it vibes well with them yeah, yeah. so now that I'm grown confident in myself where I'm like you know what I'm just not going to care what people think and yeah. if people like me who I am people are going to like me for who I am and that's like my hair is like I'm just going to do it if people don't like it yeah, oh, well. <laughs> and, and, and it kind of comes back to, I don't know, I don't know, I feel like it's being very philosophical here. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> it, comes, it comes back down to the 
external representation mm -hmm. of what you're displaying here it has nothing to even really do who you are if you're i mean that's that's people accept you for who you are yeah. not for what color your hair is yeah is the ideal friend right? yeah so the, but, the, yeah. that's the philosophical part but then like the non-philosophical part is like <laughs> no, i like just i like doing random things yeah all the time do you also like looking back on old photos and stuff can do you look back at and, and can you like see a particular hair color or style that you had and be like oh my gosh i was going through like that was this phase where i was kind of jumping into game show like set mm. and like that or like is that a thing that you track at all not really okay. I, I know i look back at some like some hairstyle that is like something that i wouldn't do now sure. and i will look at it it's like well that was interesting choice i made and I don't know. It, I have a hard time like going like, is that a phase or not? Because I'm just very random. Mm -hmm. And I think my personality is very, I don't like to dwell on things. No, I just yeah, like yeah, things yeah. to happen. So then for me, that's why I look back. It's like, oh, that was weird. I don't know why I did that, but I did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, not even in the way of, of being a representation of why you're doing it, but mm -hmm. just like, oh, I remember that I was working on this, this, and this during that. Oh, yes, I yeah. do. Okay, yeah. yeah. Or... It's, there's something I do after every show I do, mm. and my best friend would know this because she does it for me, is every big show where I'm very stressed and it's something crazy that I did, I always get one tattoo. Just, oh, really? Yeah, because I love tattoos. So, okay. And so it's quite interesting because like with hairstyle, I'm always changing it. Sometimes I change it during the shoot. Is my When I look at my tattoo, I just remember what part of life I was yeah, at yeah. with it. So That's like very cool. Yeah, so I was like, this is when I did the game show. This is when I did the music video. This is when, like, this is when it was my last time being a fully committed AC. And mm. I transitioned to production. So it's like little yeah, things that yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah, no, I guess, yeah, I ask because um, it's not even that big of, a, big of a thing. But, like, my, I've, I've been doing the man bun is new this year mm -hmm. for me. <laughs> So even like looking, it's the first time like I've had the same haircut mm -hmm. pretty much since high school up until like last year. Yeah. So then when I look at photos of myself now versus last year, I'm like, whoa, that's it's weird. really different, right? And I'm like, that's not me anymore. Like it's a it's it's a new feeling to me. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if it's. If that's a normal thing. It, it actually does because I look back at some of my own photos, like, well, I'm really different. And then you know what? Yeah. It, at the end of the day, too, it reminds me of like. Because, you know, every photo with, like, different hairstyle, you kind of already have that weird feeling that you know what happened during that time. So mm -hmm. you're like, well, I was a really different person back then. And it's kind of yeah. nice to reflect on it. And, I, and that is the other cool thing, too, is it's nice looking back on yourself mm -hmm. and, and, and seeing the growth that you've had. Like, it'd be weird looking back on yourself and you look exactly the same and nothing's changed yeah. like that would be a weird feeling to have it it is and you you know what's interesting about hair is like i go through certain <laughs> some of the same color and hair cut okay yeah, yeah i remember looking back at a photo with my short hair going i got that short hair because i was going through a really depressing time mm -hmm. and i cut it because i just needed a mental break and i was hoping a short haircut mm -hmm. will help me with that it's kind of interesting looking back at that photo and doing it now where I'm like, well, now I cut my hair short because I just felt like it. So yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. interesting looking back up like what mental state I was going through and how it changed so much. Like my reasoning to do certain hair color, to do yeah. certain haircut at that time compared to now. And it's kind of interesting to see how much I changed and yeah. how my 
perspective has changed. That's, uh, that's very empowering in ways too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, being that being that decisions are being made differently now in mm-hmm. different ways, and your awareness of it is, yeah. is kind of cool. Um, sweet. Do you want to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to talk about? Because you've been posting. You've posted about it a couple times, but the. I don't know if you even, oh, the Post Malone thing you just came off of. Oh, yeah. It actually premieres today. It premieres today? Yeah. So it'll be out by the time this comes out. Yeah. It's actually kind of weird because I don't know how to, like, view it. Like, there's instructions on how to watch it. Okay. Because it's through Facebook uh, Watch. Okay. I actually have no idea how to watch it. I'm not going to watch it because it seems really complicated. Sure. (laughs) It's just complicated to just find it and watch it? No, I think there's a step that you have to do because it's supposed to be very interactive. Okay. And I, I would like to watch it, but I feel like with my time, it's going to sure. be hard for me to... It's a little to, bit too involved. Yeah, it's a little too involved for me. So you were production coordinator on that, mm-hmm. and that was a reality show. Yes, it's it was what, like a weird th- reality competition show. Yeah, and uh, I guess to just get it off the bat right away, did you have a chance to interact with Post Malone? Um, was, that an, was that an experience that you... No, only okay. because I don't really you interact stayed, with you talent. Stayed, you stayed away. Yeah, I stay away from <laughs> talent because I just, like, I don't... Because you don't have the excuse to be around them, even if you wanted to be. Yeah. yeah, and also if I'm around talent, there's a lot more responsibilities that I'm trying not to tack <laughs> on with my thing. But what I have discovered um, with him is we don't interact with it. Me and my production manager don't interact with talent. We stay away from talent. Just in general. Just in general. There's a team for it. We have so much stuff to do with crew and logistics that we don't want to do with talent. But I remember one particular night, uh, we were wrapping out. And so our stage is like here. We're in the theater. Mm -hmm. And the parking lot next to it is our like base camp where it had all the talent trailers, the production office, the COVID check-in tent mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. VIP tent. So it's like our compound of like things that basically crew has to check in there first before they go into the theater. Yeah. And I remember my production manager and I was just standing by the front gate of the compound um, while we're waiting for talent to leave so then we can start cleaning up and wrapping out and leaving you know like Mm -hmm. we can't do much with the talent trailer until the talent leaves you know so we were standing there just waiting for them to leave so that we can finish cleaning up for the night i remember just standing there me and her were talking about what we need to do that night and post malone and his entourage finally leaves the trailer Mm -hmm. walks by us and he literally stopped at everyone and he stopped in front of me and my production manager and was like, thank you for everything today. And he would like look at us straight in the eye. He like did a small bow and he's like, thank you for everything that you did. And he acknowledged every crew member. And he literally, instead of just walking straight to his car, he would like acknowledge every crew member that was still out there and thank every single one of them. And that was a pleasant experience I had and you know you heard reputation of him mm-hmm. being really really nice and my friends actually his stunt double for a lot of his um, music video and he said he's really nice but to really see in person yeah. I was like the rumors are true he's actually very <laughs> sweet I had a prop master that would work alongside him a lot in the theater and he was like I love post because Post Malone will every day go like, hey, and he knows his name is like, hey, Randy, how are you? How are you today? Did you get rest? Mm-hmm. And it was just like really, really yeah. sweet. Yeah, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. So those are always good stories to hear. Yeah. Um, 
nice people being nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, trust me, there's some divas, which <laughs> I will not mention, but there, so, there were some people that have made our job very difficult. So who were the divas? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. I want to kind of, kind of ramp, ramp us out. That's not a proper term. Uh-huh. Close out. Close out in mm-hmm. a way. Talking about you and your dreams and what's coming next and how you, mm. not to stress you out or anything, no, but I, I don't know how much you, like what the goal, like I'm curious to know you as Lily on what, where you want to see yourself and what you're kind of aiming for and what, yeah. like that kind of stuff. So for me, I think people always ask me like, what do you want to do? Like, what's your goal in mm-hmm. your career? Do you want to be a producer? Do you want to win an Oscar? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. All that. And honestly, I don't really have that much career goal. I, I like to, I'm a person who likes to constantly learn. I like to develop mm-hmm. a lot. I like to learn new things. I like to learn new things about the world, etc. So for me, my career is, I want to do whatever makes that is enjoyable. I, I'm not really particular. Mm-hmm. Right now, production is very enjoyable for me. And when I find something enjoyable, like a department that I find enjoyable, I want to be the best that I can. Mm-hmm. Like I want to constantly be better at it and do bigger things and have more goals in life. Yeah. But my biggest goal in life is literally travel and learn about different culture, mm. different aspects of the world. So filmmaking is actually a way for me to have stability in my life to make me financially um, comfortable so I can travel so, leisurely. So like ideally... You would take take your three month gig, and then you have four months off or whatever. You yeah. Go and travel with travel. that time, and then come back for work again, mm-hmm. like that kind yeah. of. Yeah, I'm literally. I would like to. The only leisure thing mm, that I would like to do is travel, and I I actually love working. So if I could work it's constantly, a, I mean, it's a win win. Is what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, although I'm notorious for like not ever taking a vacation, because then like I could finish a show and they're like mm-hmm. are you gonna take a vacation i was like no i kind of want to work on another show right yeah, now because yeah, i yeah. need some i like to work so have you had the chance to do much travel well i originally wanted to this year but with covid it just didn't work out yeah, the yeah. way i wanted to so i'm hoping if you know if everyone does their part to help uh make this pandemic situation a little bit better mm-hmm. you know i know it sucks and there's a lot of sacrifice to do but i think if we work together really work towards making a safer environment during this pandemic and we could travel next year i would probably travel um i don't like to travel long periods of time i like probably at most two weeks at a time so then i could go back to work yeah (laughs) i love work so much get back to work yes i could go back to work all right do you have like no it's cool uh the dogs are being called they hear the door and they just like need to go and <laughs> check save, it out. Check it out. So do you have like a like a list of places that you that you're ready to hop to, or is it still is it similar to the hair where it's like you know what impulse at the end of the shoot, I'm just gonna go here now. Yeah, like, that's okay. It's very impulsive, but there is a little, like the top ones that I wanted to visit. Of course, Japan because uh, mm. I grew up learning Japanese culture because I love how the culture it just appealed to me as a kid and it actually helped me go through a lot of things in life by studying the culture mm-hmm. by really wishing I could go there so you know even my friends now they're like when are you going to Japan because that's yeah. like my long 
time dream. So Japan, uh, I was planning to go to Taiwan with a couple of friends, mm -hmm. filmmaker friends who wanted to show me Taiwan. I actually know a lot of Ta Taiwanese filmmakers yeah. that we want to go to Taiwan. And honestly, like, of course, there's the European cities that typical like Paris, Italy, there, yeah, yeah, and all that. But honestly, I, I would love to visit those, but I would like more so priorities like visiting Egypt, visiting okay. Istanbul, and visiting like like Iceland and all that, like all yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and like, or Holland or, you know, any... Denmark or anything. Just like more <laughs> like unique, very okay. like cultural, like, I don't know, like those cities appeal to me. Mm -hmm. And eventually I'll make my way to Europe, hopefully, and all that. And then after that, you'll start maybe thinking about other u.s spots too yeah so. other u.s spots too i actually i'm hoping next year so the original dp of gook and miss purple mm -hmm. uh, girls no we've they've done very well so i know far. they just saw someone out the yeah. door um but the the dp and i think justin the director of miss purple and gook i don't know if he is but i know the dp i'm really close friends with him mm -hmm. he's shooting something in korea right now and he's going to canada next year to finish mm -hmm. another show and i was gonna hopefully try to visit him i'm hoping oh, okay. the borders between canada and the u.s it's a little lighten up a little bit so i could visit and visit him in vancouver i believe yeah 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 because i mean you kind of mentioned a potential goal of doing an international mm -hmm. project yeah so that almost kind of plays into the yeah. travel like it's built in travel and you mm -hmm. can extend your stay and you can kind of do that yeah. other stuff. And I actually almost I got the opportunity to do an international portion for a special um back in March. Mm. I was working internet with international crew trying to do something for a special we had. And are you guys okay? Are you okay? Hi. Are you okay? Um but we end up not being able to do it because Right when we were planning, like mm. I had a bunch of fixers in Mumbai. I was working with fixers in... Um, fixers. Fixers are... So, you know how daunting... It, it gets daunting when you had to do a shoot in like India or Africa, right? Like Ghana. I was working with Ghana and trying to figure out all the logistics mm. in there. So fixers aren't really like production people, but there are certain people in that country that is the liaison between yeah, the American yeah, yeah. crew and the crew there. So they will help you get visa. They are basically your go-to guys. It's like, hey, can you help yeah. me set up with visa? Okay. They're, and they, I worked with a fixer. It's like, how many visa do you need? Do you need Wi-Fi? What kind of hotels do you need? What kind of crew do you need? Do you need a line producer? I can get that for you. Do you need rental cars? So they basically help us. Um, and they just handle that transition yeah. into the new country. Yeah. So yeah. they are basically the local that will help us around the city okay yeah so then i was able to work with i got to work with um sydney um uh trying to figure out sydney australia, sydney, australia okay. trying to figure out something there i was working with a fixer for a mumbai um india and then i was working with a fixer for ghana in mm -hmm. africa and we were kind of on like the beginning part i don't know if i was able to travel we we weren't I didn't have those details yet, and then COVID hits, and then yeah. we took a pause. So yeah. that was like the crush of my international work, <laughs> but I'm hoping it will pick up maybe next year or uh, something we'll like that. See. We'll, we'll see. see. No, but it makes sense uh, your answer to the whole dream question because you you have 
presented through your history thus far, mm-hmm. like you're still jumping into camera team when, when you have availability and mm-hmm. it's a switch of pace, doing production coordinator, doing producer. Yeah. I don't know, like, if I don't know if you still, like, like, I think I saw a credit where you're also first ADing at some yeah, point. Yeah, I first AD'd a couple of stuff, yeah. which was very crazy and daunting. Yeah. I, I literally do little things. I find my my little comfortability in camera department before, and now I find my comfortability in production. Right. So I definitely... You know, like, I like to do different departments, but there's always a department that you will eventually gravitate towards, but you're going to work hard towards it, where mm-hmm. you can, like, climb right. up the ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has always been camera department and now production team yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe soon it'll be art. Oh, yeah. I've done <laughs> a couple, like, art stuff for people, um, non-credited. Like, I'd do a music video and I will like, yeah. and you, design. Yeah, and you stay away from post, I'm assuming. Uh, yes, I don't you, do No post. editing, no VFX. No, I can't. I, I tried to edit a couple things before, just, like, help yeah. out an editor, and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, not me. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Sound is the other one that you're also missing, it yes. seems like. Which, there's no reason to jump into that no. at this point. I Like, you know, with short films, you did a little bit of everything before. Yeah, and, yeah. But I definitely would not have a career in sound. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we're, we're good. And right. Yeah. Sorry. Let me grab here. <laughs> she, I need to give her a shout out because okay, more people sweet, know sweet. about her than they do about me. Oh, really? Like, there are strangers who was like, I get to meet Daisy, and I've never met them. Like, it's like my friend, my one of my director's fiance knows this girl. Yeah. So let's describe Daisy for the people just listening, if you can. Daisy is my little, like, she's like my mini-me, pretty much. And she basically, my friend raised her, and... I babysat her when he, he's a stunt guy who's going around doing mm. a bunch of features in different countries. And he asked if I could look after her because mm. she's a little hyper for his in-laws. And so I was like, yeah. And then he asked if I wanted to hold on to her. And I, I feel like I adopted her because his in-laws can't handle her really mm. well. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much kept her and she's been my little mini me. Nope. She's been my little mini-me. And the thing is, everyone who comes over always likes to take pictures of her. Oh, really? And post, like, her photos get posted quite often on Instagram, so a lot of people know who does she, she is. Does she have? She doesn't have her own Instagram. She does. It's okay. like every daisy with two Ys, I think. I can't remember. But I just remember there are people that have never, yeah. I don't know, who knows who this girl is. That's crazy. Well, there's Daisy. Thanks for making an appearance on the podcast. She's very vocal. We say if she had a job in the film industry, is a COVID officer because she doesn't like affection. Like if you hug someone, she'll bark. Oh, kind of gets Yeah, so, so she's like, she barks at anyone who goes near each other. And that's how you know. Yeah. Are you a COVID officer? All right, Daisy. Thanks Bye. for thanks for being on, Lily. Thanks for having yeah. me over, for being a part, sharing all of your experiences and insight. Yeah, it's thanks for nice. having me. It's like this is my first podcast, so it's quite interesting. Like yeah. I've never really done a podcast. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I listen to a couple, um, so it's always interesting sure. too. Yeah, you did great. Yay! All right, cool. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, 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 oh.